0: Tonight's episode of the Bill Simmons podcast on the ringer podcast network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know, it's not smart talking shit all summer. If you're a seven foot two center on the Sixers and then (laughs) the best team in these comes after you the whole game. You know what else is the smart job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. Luckily there's a smart way at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. They find people the right skills for your job, actively invite them to apply. You get qualified candidates fast. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ziprecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest, way too higher. Meanwhile, SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. Concerts. $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game, sporting event, whatever you want. Use promo code BS. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to seatgeek.com. Taping the first part of this on a Tuesday night. We just did the Ringer's NBA preview palooza. We did 12 hours of content. All of it is now available on our YouTube channel, on our Twitter channel, uh, slash feed, which is at Ringer NBA or at Ringer. You can check us out on Twitch. You can check us out some of the Instagram stuff. We did some great stuff. Culminating a live watch tonight, Celtic Sixers. Van Lathan, who has not, you haven't been on this podcast yet, right? I have
1: not. You have not been. It's my first time, man. Sweet.
0: So, so he was in the live watch. We pulled him in. Joe House is here. Joe House has done an incredible amount of content today. I'm honored to
2: be and here. You for, haven't really been for fed, have first. you? No, I'm hungry. I'm I legitimately you'd be hungry. hungry. We're yeah, at the the evening.
0: We did uh, multiple things on, on the Ringer channel live. Live. But we also taped something for your podcast. House and you taped something else
1: for your podcast. That's true. And now we're here after Bang. a two and a half hour live watch. Yeah, he was talking about Popeyes chicken. You know, you know how you know somebody's hungry when they see a commercial on TV and they go, "Damn!" I yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because it was Popeyes also. I mean, that's you like whole, Popeyes? Oh, I'm a,
2: a an yeah, enormous it Popeyes fan. Like Popeyes. It's documented. Yeah, Popeyes, Popeyes <laughs> <fan>. <laughs> loves the
0: Popeyes. Uh, so coming up, we're going to talk about what we saw tonight and some other stuff, and then a little bit later, the Oscar winner Damien Chazelle came out with me and Sean Fennessy an interview we taped yesterday. It was really interesting and really good. So that's all coming up of First Pearl Jam. All right, it is uh, Tuesday night. We're between games here. We're taping this at 742 at night, Pacific time. The Celtics beat the Sixers. The Warriors are getting their rings as we speak. Van Lathan is here. Mm. Joe House is here. Mm-hmm. He's hungry. Yeah. So all all the ringer people, we do that live watch, mm. and they're all trying to start Celtic shit after. Right. There's no way the chemistry and all that stuff. I will say I did. They benched Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie was terrible tonight. Hopefully it was an aberration. They benched him the last four minutes. Jalen Brown sits out in crunch time in yeah. favor Gordon Hayward. All right. Rogier and Smart were fantastic. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, they're out of the game in the fourth quarter. It was the first time I was like, oh man, we actually have enough talent here that this actually could become a problem. Yeah. What was your takeaway as a Laker fan who hates the Celtics?
1: Well, first of all, I don't necessarily hate the Celtics. I just, uh, I hate the Lakers. I despise the Celtics with a seething white house. <laughs> um, uh, for me, I'm the only sort of positive I could take away from the game is that it's all going to blow up in you guys' faces. It, 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 I know that the ship is sinking. It's, hmm. We're polishing the brass on a Titanic. It's all going down. Um, but seriously, all jokes aside, If I'm Kyrie Irving and I came to Boston to be the guy that closes out games because I didn't want to share the ball with the biggest basketball star, maybe in three or four, whatever, Um, that's got to sting a little bit. That they don't need you to close games for them. That they have a guy who does it a little bit better than you. I think Tatum was getting any shot he wanted. Tatum was getting any shot he wanted to. He was scoring in the half court he was scoring in isos he was scoring in transition he was doing whatever he wanted to do and he was showing some dimensions that you know maybe Kyrie doesn't have no come on i'm not well, what, on. when i say doesn't have i mean like Kyrie Irving is a fantastic one-on-one iso scorer i i'm i'm looking at this situation and i'm going maybe perhaps there's a I got to be a change of the guard in Boston at some point. This Maybe season. he could, shouldn't be it. the guy. the guy. Oh, um, House loves this. I love, he's a really fan. love it.
2: The the, uh, the 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 stark difference between what I would say, uh, Tatum, Smart, Rozier, Brown. Yeah, but those those guys look like they played in the conference finals two weeks ago. It looks like they took a Which two they week break. Did yeah, mm-hmm. and and came in on firing on all cylinders. There was no uh, sh- uh, shakiness to any of their games. Roger especially looked incredibly
0: confident. Yo, Smart's always going to look confident. Love that guy, man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And watching him grow up in the playoffs in the second half of the season last year, you don't want to see him take a step backwards. You want to see that young guy keep getting the ball and keep getting his chance to shine, man. You want to see them keep building on you. So this is the
2: challenge for the Celtics. Now, I will say we're we're doing this one-game punditry. One game. Which is, which is, no, in. it's
0: one-game overreaction stuff. Yes, exactly. But it was seeing all the toys under the Christmas tree at the same time. You're really, like, man, that's a lot of toys. Yeah. What do we do? I can only play with five.
1: Right. They still won the game by what? 17 points. You know what I'll
2: say? The game was never really in doubt. Nah, not really. There was never a minute where I was like, oh, the Sixers really have a chance here. The Sixers are going to have to shoot lights out to beat that caliber of talent. Now, the Mm -hmm. Celtics, (laughs) by all estimates and expectations, are either the second best or third best or fourth best team in the league. They're in that conversation. They're right there. So I didn't look at a box score until right now. Uh Uh-huh. I, my guess was that Rogier's
0: plus plus-minus was going to be great because every time he was in the game, he the Celtics just played better. He's like plus 22. Mm. Plus, plus 22 in 27 minutes. You got five minutes for that guy, man. Smart was only plus three. But, you got to be on the uh, court. Yeah, look, it's going to be a work in progress. I think I was the most surprised that they relied on and played Hayward as much as they did
1: because he looked pretty rusty. I and think, he was playing crunch time. It, it seemed like they were trying to show him some faith. I think, yeah, part of that is when the game wasn't in doubt. And, you know, when they had a nice cushion, you want to see him get his timing back, get his rhythm back and make sure that he that he because part of coming back from an injury that's that catastrophic is having faith in your body and having faith in what you're able to do. I know he's been working really hard and they want to to make sure he gets the game burn that he needs. That's 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 a positive thing, though. You want him to feel that way. I mean, it's a
0: positive thing unless you're Jalen Brown and you've heard the whole summer how good Jason Tatum is. And your contract's up a year sooner where you could start thinking of free agency and you start thinking like, maybe I should go somewhere more appreciated. I don't think that. I'm, I'm worried <laughs> about do. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm worried about This that is, is Bill's overreaction Celtic right. situation. No, no, just, right. I, I'm just, we look so good. I have to overthink it. And,
1: <laughs> yeah, but okay. I am,
0: I have worried about that Jalen Brown thing this summer because it's been a lot of, even we were talking about this, we were doing the live watch. Mm-hmm. Tatum, Tatum, Tatum. Next day, he could be the MVP someday. Guy's amazing. Just give him the ball. He's the go-to guy. Mm. And Jalen Brown's like, I'm right here. Like I told you his first two seasons where he he actually had a better first two years than Paul George. Mm. Every statistical slash playoff experience checkpoint, he's further ahead. Now you tell somebody that, like, get out of here. I'm like, all right. Go find me any statistical evidence, game evidence, anything that Jalen Brown is a further ahead in his career than Paul George is. But nobody would ever talk about that or make that
1: case. But do you, do you, that also comes with an assumption that his ceiling is the same as what Paul George's is right now. Do you think that you can make that case?
0: I absolutely think
1: you could. Really? I do.
0: I do. I think athletically. Because Paul George wasn't a scorer at all those first couple of years. I'm saying just ceiling. He could score, though. He could. Could yeah. a little. But yeah. I, I don't. I think what he's emerged into, I think, would have been optimistic after two years. You'd be uh-huh. like, oh, I, like, I think he, people thought of him more as like, that like, guy's going to be a great defender and mm-hmm. he'll be able to shoot threes, hopefully.
2: He's just not, he's never going to be, he's not, the difference is size. He's never going to be as big as Paul George's. He's never going to be as tall as Paul George's.
0: Well, he's he's like 6'8,
1: though. He's 6'7, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but pa- Paul, Paul George, George's. 6'8, six, 6'9. Six, 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 yeah, 6'9. That's what I think. Right. Mm-hmm. I just look at Paul George as a, Rangey two-way player that has, like... Paul Jones is an elite NBA player. And I'm not saying that Jalen Brown won't be that, but what I'm saying is, like, at this point, Tatum has obviously showed... The, the ceiling's higher for him. There's the, no question. There's a, he's a different type of guy. Is man. the
0: ceiling as high for Shaq's jacket right now, or no? Did you see Shaq's jacket tonight? <laughs> he's well, he's been getting
1: killed
2: well, on Shaq, the Twitter, well,
0: too. Well, Shaq... Shaq's now becoming too heavy.
2: Like, Yo. to,
1: like... I'm actually starting to worry about our heavy Shaq. Say something. I was at Shaq. Big guys shouldn't be that heavy. I was at Shawnee's crib like two weeks ago. Yeah. And you know, talking to Sharif when he was talking about everything that. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah we, and so Shaq comes in. Did you ever see Avengers: Infinity War? Yeah. You see like the Infinity Gauntlet. That's what Shaq's hand looks like. Shaq's hand looks out like, not like Shaq's hands. Shaq is so big. Like Shaq comes in there, he's like Shaq is. It's a hilarious picture of me. I'm 6'4 standing next to Shaq and standing next to Sharif, looking like a tiny dwarf person. Shaq is gigantic. He's huge and only getting and only getting bigger, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's, a lot of it seems like it's muscle, though. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, I remember
0: I did a podcast with Dr. J once and I shook his hand and like my whole arm collapsed in his yeah. hand. His hand was like all the way from my fingers, like to my elbow. I've never right. seen anything like it. I believe it. So was it nice to have basketball back tonight, House? I'm so excited. It's just the best thing in the world to see. We, we came We were in. stunned by the the Ben Simmons. So House and I bet this triple-double thing. It was 12 and a half, which we're going to get. He didn't get it tonight because it was a blowout. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember what the MVP odds were. And as we're watching that game, we're like, man, that would have been a nice dark horse pick, the old Ben Simmons averaging a triple-double for a 55-win
2: team. He had 15 rebounds tonight. you right. And, and 15 rebounds. He had,
1: he had Fifteen, you know what was and stark. athletically
2: looks just, the, the, that's right, the point. highest level. The, what was a, a stark difference in in caliber of play, and I don't want to uh, hyperbolize too much, but there was a big, big difference between what I saw out of Ben Simmons and what I saw out of Joel Embiid. W- w- what do we attribute that to? Well, Van, make your point about Joel because I thought it was a good one. The, the Celtics, or
0: was that Jason's point? Somebody made that point. Which point? I don't. Know oh, I, know. it was Shea. Shea made that point. When we do the reactions, we run
1: at the end oh, of the live watch. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's
0: like, everybody in the Celtics were, was going at Joel they, with like they a were, real
1: gusto. They were, they had a purpose to make sure that he did not get off. And they they took it personally. People don't like the antics of Joel Embi- I, t- I, I tend to like him a little bit.
0: Well, he's for what you do for a living, you he's need Joel Embiid. yeah, he's cool He's like gold. a number he's a number
1: one overall draft pick. Yeah, he's the number one overall. He's he's tweeting at Rihanna. Yeah, he's doing all kinds of things that we can carry off of the court. So I I tend to like it's almost
0: it. like he's the puppet and you're the puppeteer and exactly. you're just telling him what I, to do. I like
1: that type of stuff, but it's annoying. Obviously, if you're an NBA player, you gotta be on the court with him and this guy's talking all of this jack. So they, they he's gonna get that from people. I didn't like the way he behaved
0: during the playoffs. And in general, I think we've entered this weird era of player empowerment slash player, player, player people for the players, which I like, but now we're excusing bad behavior. Well, what thought, did you not what like? You like about him? What did he do in the playoffs? Yeah, I just thought about? indeed was a baby in the in the playoffs last year. How and so? I like when you lose, like go stick around, shake people's hands, and be a man about yeah. it. He like, you know, he's bitching at Baines the whole time, Not and then like he that. just stalked off right after. It's like, come on, you yeah. lost. Like, like go shake some hands, dude. I, I didn't like Le- when Isaiah did it thirty years ago when he stalked off when when the ninety one Bulls. Or well, when LeBron him.
1: did it, he got they they killed LeBron for it. Yeah, remember LeBron lost the Celtics, left the court, In didn't 2010. shake hands. Yeah, didn't shake stick hands. Stick around, shake some hands, man. All right, yeah. I get that. You know what I liked about tonight, about the NBA being back? What? Guilt-free sports watching because I'm so torn about the NFL. Uh It's such a a tough thing with the NFL, and I haven't been watching the NFL the whole year, Mm -hmm. and I'm a gigantic football fan. I love my Saints. I love them to death, but I haven't been able to watch the NFL because of everything that's been going on. And everybody else is watching it. I'm catching people telling me Patrick Mahomes is the mixture of Joe Montana, Aaron Rodgers, and Goku from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> like, like, like everybody's telling me all this stuff, and I haven't really been seeing it. I feel like I'm missing such a huge portion of sports conversation. To know that tomorrow I'm gonna be able to talk about and enjoy everything, and that's dope to me. Like I've been missing that with the NFL. The NBA is kind of giving me. I'm back. It's like, Mm -hmm. it feels feels great to be able to watch this and not feel any sort of political deal at all, man. That's
0: interesting. Guilt-free. So it's so funny to me, like, House and I are basically the same age, Mm. how the NBA has shifted over, like, the 45 years of my life, especially, like, when we really loved the late 70s, early 80s, and it was, like, this league that was basically going out of business, you know? Or, yeah, and it was like, all right. oh, the players are on cocaine. And and, <laughs> and then it kind of flipped back during the Magic Bird mm-hmm. Jordan. And then in the 90s, it started to flip the other way, culminating uh-huh. in the Spreewell thing. And it's all like, right. these guys are out of control. And mm-hmm. Iverson, all those dudes. And then it started to come back. And then the Artest melee happened. And uh-huh. then it hit that dip again. Now it's like at a at a level I I just never these dudes imagined. are choir
1: boys, man. They they these are nice guys for the most part. They, like I mean, obviously you still get some problems, but these are nice guys. They handle their
0: business as well as anyone in any field. Uh-huh. That is know. in some sort of public eye, but also like they're just so famous and so popular. And like uh-huh. we were talking about Ben Simmons, like we knew all the people he was dating. Yeah. That was not the case In the in the early 80s Like Spencer Haywood Dated Iman The supermodel Like nobody even knew that By the way
1: That's so funny <laughs> Great that you bring pull that by up. him So funny that you bring that up I'm looking when David Bowie passed away God rest his soul When David Bowie but she, passed He was away. married to Iman Right yeah. And so I'm looking up Iman Because I go on these Weird Wikipedia runs sure. Where I'll look up <laughs> David Bowie And then I'll look up Iman And then I see that Iman has like an older kid That's not one of David Bowie's kids And I'm like Oh who is this person with I'm like Wait what? Yeah. I'm like, huh? Spencer, I, I never knew that. Like, yeah. I never knew that. That That's not that's one of those things that people never talk. I never heard that. Sure. I feel like my dad would have told me that, but he I missed think, it. I think this is the first time I heard it. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, think, I think I knew they dated, but I don't
2: think that I ever knew they had a kid mm. together. Yeah,
0: because if you took, I mean, one of the great, most fun questions ever is if you just put Wilt in a time machine and just stuck him into right now. Loving it. But Wilt was like taking out actresses left and right, and He's nobody, kidding. it was all in the down low. Nobody knew. He was so what ahead of his time. On. He would be
2: incredible Wilt right now. Wilt moved out
0: here and fucked everybody in LA <laughs> for like 10 years. He's every a actress. literally he, ahead of he, his he time. Notched it, was it down. He's, but he'd nowadays, be perfect you, for this era. TMZ, that would be. We, we would Wilt, know everything. Wilt, Wilt finally polished off his last Kardashian. Exactly. Because right. exactly.
1: well, think, think about what Tristan was, think about Tristan, man. Tristan, God bless him was just on the road in D.C., in a club. They caught this dude on surveillance camera video acting up. Mm. Rough. Mm. You 6'10", fam. You're not going to get away with it. (laughs) <laughs> well, here's the thing with Wilt. Wilt, you wouldn't. Wilt would
2: be TMZ's best friend because he'd be like, oh, "What time am I coming in here today to tell you about what I did last night?" Yeah, yeah. like you wouldn't. There wouldn't be a surveillance. Nobody mm-hmm. would be saying, "Oh, I wonder what Wilt did." Wilt would say, "Oh, here, here's what I did. Mm-hmm. Here's here's who I was with."
0: You, you guys could be like, Will, can we put a camera in your house just well, we'll to see, and just in the doorway?" That's it. He's like, "Sure,
1: yes." Just monitoring. You so are welcome. Watching going forth.
0: So when Wilt moved here, he bought this house in Bel Air. On like the top of some mountain mm-hmm. in the one of the Bel Air canyons, and like had this famous architect build this amazing house. The only reason I know this is the house was for sale a couple months ago. I just I saw that, and the person, the whoever, many people owned it. They didn't really fuck with the house, right. so it's still like kind of Wilts house. Yeah, it's like, and it's just this seventies Brady Bunch bachelor pad that right. was like, oh my god, and uh, it's incredible. It's online if you want to go look it up, but just just will bringing ladies up uh, I mean it's the, literally
2: like that old uh Larry David episode it's literally the house that come built
1: right I mean, oh my put god a, put a black light in it and you just go crazy man even now you know who really the black you know who really benefits from the NBA this is a complete LA thing you know who really benefits from like uh the NBA season starting guys at LA clubs why is that if you were if you are at if you are at an L.A. club, right, so if you're going out to Poppy, Nightingale, One Oak, all of these places, yeah. the moment the season ends, uh-huh. all the NBA players come to L.A. Oh. They vacation, right? They vacation for a little bit. They go wherever they go, ride banana boat together, whatever, and then they come to L.A. And when they come to L.A., they take the club's over. Game over. Take them over. You think that you're doing your thing. You think that you're on TMZ and it's all swagged out until Kevin Durant walks into the club, buys all the bottles and stuff like that. But now for a little while the regular LA weird actor commercial type dude Is gonna get the clubs back. He gets his minute. He's gonna get them back. Is you gonna be able to. This is interesting, like the fifth cast member of Modern Family. Exactly. You're gonna be able to go in there and flex with your CW show. Uh You're gonna be able to go in there and say, listen, I'm on (laughs) Arrow next week. I'm on Black I'm on Lightning. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be able to go in there. What about I'm on the Ringer Podcast Network? Yeah, what, what, what about, about that I one? I did a Ringer Live Watch, last night. All of that. You're going to be able to do all of that. You know what I'm saying? For a while, till the till the spring and the summer comes again, and here they come again. John Wall, Russell Westbrook. Bang, 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 they're going to be there. John, John Wall, second time. I mean, he was there all night. <laughs> he was there all summer. So
0: if what was here now... <laughs> First of all, it'd be amazing It'd be great be Like, oh my god, it's Will Chamberlain mm-hmm. I really feel like he would've enjoyed this era a lot more than the 60s In the 60s, there was a lot of judging of Will You think so? I mean, I wasn't Like, was there? Well, his You they, know He wrote a You know, when I did my basketball book I mm-hmm. tried to read every book that ever came out about basketball Either an autobiography or whatever and one of the best, and I wrote about it in my book. One of the best ones was Wilt, Not Just Your Average Seven Foot Millionaire, I think it was called. Mm. And it was this really candid book about like his sex life. Like, and it had stuff that I remember I read it when I was, I think, 14 the first time. And it was like I was on a plane. And this stewardess was giving me the eye, and she ended up. We ended up reenacting the scene from Deep Throat,
1: and with stuff like that, I was like, <laughs> "I'm serious. It's in there. Reenacting the scene from the vintage porn situation." Oh, shout yeah. out to Linda Lovelace. It oh was like gosh. it was like
0: a performance worthy of the classic Deep Throat, but it was like this was like 1974, right? Well, was Nobody was talking like this. Was, like, you know, was so like, upon. You, you put him in now. I don't even know what he would be capable. He's of. going for it. He's I mean, a now candid th- dude. The
1: more sort of out there you are with that type of stuff, the more famous you are this is why I'm yeah. saying
2: that he was ahead of his time not only this this the swagger that went with the sort of he knew exactly what his status was, but he also i think he could play in this n b a and be unbelievable yeah, he would have been good well, I, he's such a great athlete exactly that's what i'm yeah. that's what i'm saying i made a, i did i had a footnote in my book about
0: wondering if what if, if what was secretly gay really. 'Cause it was just lifelong bachelor and had cats. That was the only evidence I had.
1: But do you do you think maybe like the uh the the braggadocious and nature the bra- and the bragging of like the twenty thousand women was thing. kinda like he doth protest too much. Yeah, or... it was a
0: little bit. Like if, if you're inflating numbers, it was a good footnote. It made for a good <laughs> yeah. conversation to start under. But I, but there's too much evidence that he wasn't. Yeah,
1: for some reason, you know what I mean? <laughs> much, twenty there's <laughs> a lot twenty thousand to witnesses. the contrary. Like for some reason it was it was weird because like um you know, when I started to get a little older, I looked through my grandmother's, like, scrapbooks, and she had pictures and stuff like that. I would see my grandmother in pictures with all of these guys. Never with Will Chamberlain. Mm. But once I learned about Will Chamberlain, I asked her about it. Uh-uh. I'm like, yo, man, you were out there in L.A. doing it. Because, like, yo, know, there's a lot of black actors, Calvin Lockhart, all of these guys, Harry Belafonte, she was, like, around them and stuff. And she was like, no, but everybody knew about him. So everybody knew yep. about him. Mm. The still, the legend. Imagine he comes and he's 7'3". Like, look, I was talking about the, the summer. DeAndre Ayton walked into the club, um, walked into Poppy maybe like a month ago or something like that. And people didn't really even know who he was. But he's so tall. So if Chamberlain, the most famous guy in L.A., walks into a club at 7'3", he's coming out of there with everything, man. I even... So it's a
0: horrible for basketball players, especially if you're six foot six and over. You're standing out in every possible way. But even like that one time when we went out with Brady, or you weren't there for that time in no. the Super Bowl uh-uh. with Will and those guys. We'll and moved, was this was before Brady stopped going
1: out. He's 6'5. Tom Brady? Tom here? Brady. So
2: we moved to Tom Brady. Well, no, just quickly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. I moved well, to like, the goat. Well, first of all, that's how you know you're around famous motherfuckers. Yeah. The time we went out with Brady, nah, I don't know. I'm thinking about who. Brady. Brady I was talking about Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn, yeah. Like, like, like that, that's the that's guy that I would be hanging out with, Brady Quinn. He's a realtor now so or something like that. Brady's 6'5". Big guy. You
0: can't... When you're you're six 6'4", I yeah. would say that's about the limit that's you the, can that's go. The, my dad says... You can bend in a little. You can crouch. My dad says mm-hmm. that is
1: the... Limit, because I'm the shortest of all my brothers. My dad says that's the limit of normal tall.
0: So his move was to go, he'd find a corner, because mm-hmm. that way, corner, people can't come with you a bunch of different ways. They can only come at you. And yeah. if you have your friends in front of you, through the buffer. But then he would also kind of lean against the wall so he wasn't 6'5". And that way he blended in. Brady
1: didn't want to be noticed?
0: No, not at all. You love him, huh? Well, I mean, he's he's the GOAT. Yeah. I think he's getting a little strange in his forties, but that's all right. We he's all get a little strange he's, in our forties. It's getting a little weird. It's
1: getting a little weird, though. A little weird. Time
2: first time is
1: a little strange. Little strange a little strange. It's, it's like it's like it's and it's getting stranger. <laughs> a it's getting strange. into, it's getting to it's he's almost getting kooky. I would say that Tom Brady is getting kooky. He's a little kooky a little bit. It's still were kicking
2: you, ass. Were
0: you in the club scene? Like how often do you go to the club scene and run into these guys?
1: Um I, I go, I don't go to the club like a, a ton, but like the guys I play basketball with, they're party promoters. Yeah. Uh and so when I go, it's to the best clubs in LA. It's to to, to these different and they're out there all the time. So July is like the J- Super Bowl of J- July of LA club scene. July is the Super Bowl of LA clubs. The season is over. Dude,
0: I mean, the the women must know. They must know when What? No, when that July of course. is the month. What are you talking about? Yeah, like, that's what like, I mean. It's a symbol
1: for them. They're better scouts than some of these guys getting paid for. <laughs> like, of course they know. By the way, I've heard things said, Bill, that are so crazy. I've heard people say stuff like, oh, no, he's still on a rookie contract. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I've heard that said. So they have spot track on their yeah, phone? I've they're looking that, at salaries? I've heard that said, no, he's still on a rookie contract. I'm like, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like not me. I'm not fishing for that. I'm already caught. I mean, you know that's what I'm saying? ruthless. But, that's ruthless. But like, I'm not out there just on the club to like meet women. I'm not. That's not what I'm on. Like, I'm already done with that. But like, I've heard you. You meet girls and they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just on the rich They know how much you're making.
0: I never believed any of this stuff until I spent three straight years with Jalen Rose, <laughs> and it was just constantly. And then after about four months, it was like, oh, so this really is like this. Yeah.
1: It most this certainly This is as is.
0: ruthless as whatever we thought it might be. It's actually happening.
1: Yeah, like it, the the toughest the toughest situation is for a G League guy because a G League guy looks like a basketball player. He walks like a basketball player. He even has some of the gear. Yeah, he can say. I so play you, for a team. You can say he can say that, but the problem is. When you get to those clubs and you and you you're you're in there with girls that know Brandon Jennings. Even Brandon Jennings, big deal in the club. Got a lot of money. They know he's right. coming.
0: They know he signed a contract.
1: You know you signed a contract. G Lee, dude, you ain't got it. Go back to Sioux Falls or wherever to play, play for the break. Well, and the club's expensive for a guy from you know playing for Sioux Falls. These these a table at one of these places is going to cost you ten to fifteen thousand dollars. I mean then, that's a quarter of your season salary, and then you're going to run it up with the drinks, and your oh. homies got to come. And then not only that, but remember, it's not just a basketball player because Puff is in there. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like all, all of these other people in there. Like they, <laughs> it's just it's, it's for me being the TMZ guy is like everybody knows who I am, but I'm not a celebrity. So it's funny watching them watch me, and it's funny just watching them. Do they think you're like, uh, like the hall monitor? Sometimes, like you, yeah. yeah. Like, 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 especially pre Kanye West thing. Because now the Kanye thing changed. That removed your
0: hall monitor status. Took it away.
1: Yeah. Now, because I think people saw in that moment that, like, yo, you can trust them. It, it, there was a connection made and stuff like that. So no one would expect me to to kind of be that guy. But before. Sure. I remember we actually, I'm not going to tell the name of the guys, me and a friend of mine, he's an actor. We had gone to Sam's Hofbrau downtown, which is my Disneyland. And um, (laughs) we we went there and we met up with some other actor friends of his. And everybody was supposed to go to a different club after Sam's that would be open even later. And I'm getting ready. I'm like, I'm like, forget about it. I'm going to go ahead and go. Because we have to be up so early at TMZ that a lot of times I'll go to sleep. Right. And I was like, nah, man, I'm just gonna come. I'm just gonna dug it out. And he goes, Oh, you're coming? Okay, well, I'll see you guys tomorrow. And I was like, I looked at my homie and I was like, Did he just say that in front of my face? And he goes, Hey, that dude has four commercials. He can't, he can't, he can't risk it. And I'm like, all right, cool. I mean, I'm not gonna snitch on him. I've never done that before in my life. And that's not how I look to break stories, but it was a thing for sure. I can understand that. Of I mean Of course. I'm not you think I'm gonna cry like, all right, cool. I'm gonna, you know. More for me. Go tip somebody. Put a girl through nursing school. I, <laughs> you know, I wasn't tripping. I understood it.
0: House and I missed out on this whole club scene. <laughs> yeah, when we were in our twenties, so. it was just you went to a bar and you had bottles of beer and it was dark and everybody had heavy clothes on. Bill, let we me tell did you. this whole fifteen thousand for. It's like it might as well be happening in what in Westworld for me. Can you guys do me a favor? Go to the club someday, please. Well, uh, I've done I mean, it. I've been there before. I'm, I'm I'm stupefied every time I've been to one. Nah, but
1: see, the problem is, is that like, go with you, right? Oh, they're I mean, like.
2: I would like to do yeah, that. I would like to do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> also, Nephi not, Kyle, Nephi Kyle oh, is no, no, in. Nephi right. Kyle, yeah, producer Kyle's in. I'm telling you, it's dope, and especially it's dope because Bill, everybody would know you. Well, you know, to, to a certain demo, I'm the white guy who was on Countdown. Oh, that's very true. See? Two and, years. And remember now, like the ladies that are scouting these athletes, they don't just know the athletes. Oh, they know the media members? They know the announcers. Oh, that's great. Like, like I, I, heard, I heard one girl complain about Joey Crawford one time. The, she knew the referees. Oh, wow. Remember, she's flying around. But to he wasn't c- in the club? No, he wasn't in the club. <laughs> that was <laughs> funny. <laughs> but she's flying around in different cities right. with athletes. So they complain about the refs. And so she hears <laughs> it, and she like sponges Absolutely, it. Absolutely, that's Man. great.
2: That's great. Yep. I wonder if they know how much you make. What a world we're mi- what a world we're missing out on, House. <laughs> yeah, we missed it.
0: Our world was just let's go. Can I get everyone a to beers? I mean, it's like just this whole bottle. The- I, I can't even imagine how I've much money. Everybody, beers and shots,
2: and beers and shots, and beers and shots. That was this is why life. Kyle goes to the dark room on Melrose. Oh, oh is that, that place, place is very poppin'. small. Always, yes. Oh, oh there there yes. Hey, finally, that place finally.
1: Is no, wow. is, is it whack? You, is, is that like is no, the dark room? Be that's, whack? It, that's his place.
3: Yeah, there's
0: just a, there's a stink on it in this company. I don't know what it is. Bill knows. Bill knows. Not a stink. I've been there with you multiple times. I like it over there. I like. You like the parlor. I like that whole Melrose bar scene. Yeah. I like the little being able to watch all the weirdos walk up and down. Mm. I, I let, Melrose has a good energy. Now we ride bird scooters from bar to bar. Yeah, so those things are going to go away soon because somebody is going <laughs> to somebody somebody's going to have some sort of crosswalk fly through a windshield, and that those things are going to be gone. Do they have those in DC? Yeah,
2: I won't miss it when they go away. Hmm. Let's take a quick break.
0: Hey, booking business travel is ridiculously outdated, time-consuming, and costly. Thankfully, TripActions takes the pain out of corporate travel management with a complete solution that helps businesses save and keeps employees happy. TripActions, the first travel management platform designed from the ground up with the road wearer in mind. Easy booking from app or desktop. 24-7 proactive around-the-globe support. Incentives for employees to save on travel expenses. Companies large and small. See over 90% adoption, up to 34% savings at travel spend when they use Trip Actions. No wonder companies like Lyft and Sarah Lee's Frozen Bakery trust Trip Actions with their business travel. Learn how Trip Actions can reshape business travel at your company today. You'll be rewarded for checking them out. Go to TripActions.com. BS, attend a 30 minute demo, and you'll get a $100 Amazon gift card. But hurry, offer valid during this month only. slash BS, free demo, $100 Amazon gift card. You mentioned the Kanye thing before. Mm. And now that he's officially lost his mind, I think we can all agree. But you were kind of Christopher Columbus in the early
1: stages of the Maybe not, Colum- really- maybe, maybe not Columbus. <laughs> uh, maybe not Columbus. Well, who, I, did, I don't who, think I murdered any indigenous people. Who, who, landed, who landed that territory early? <laughs>
0: uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Neil Armstrong. Lewis and Clark. Neil, Neil Armstrong. Armstrong. Neil Armstrong, I,
1: I could be. You were the Neil Armstrong. I was Ryan Gosling.
0: You were Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong. Right, yeah. There, mm. People hadn't really seen this Kanye thing. I mean, obviously, we knew he had a ton of problems. Mm-hmm. But then that was kind of the moment, and if you if you look at this whole arc of everything that's happened with Kanye, yeah. that was kind of the first point,
1: point. and then right. it just kept getting worse. Yeah.
0: Did you feel that that day?
1: A little bit. I think that um, I think that for me, w- watching him in the office because it was kind of bizarre while he was in there. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, he turned it on a little bit. You know, he. You didn't know if it was shtick or real. Well, after a point, it became obvious that it was real. But when he first jumped off and started doing what he was doing, I think we were just all like, you know, a little bit taken aback. But then after a while, he just keeps going and going and going. And I'm sitting in my cubicle. I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Right. And if you watch the clip, it really wasn't until he addressed the room and that I answered him back because he turned around and he goes, yo, does it sound like I'm speaking freely? and i'm like no it doesn't sound like you're speaking anything it sounds like there's nothing going on right now and then, yeah. you know and even even in that moment it wasn't even about cuz kanye west was uh a cultural idol to me and yeah. in many ways still is you know what i mean he like uh for for who i was a uh, uh like i always listened to hip hop right but a lot of the themes like i couldn't i could relate to the themes but the actual lyrics and stuff like that i couldn't like i was never you know serving anybody there was I, I, as much as i love ho there's so many l- l- lessons in ho's music and jay-z's music that um you know you could extrapolate them out but some parts of it didn't re- relate directly to me you know what i'm saying but yay everything that he did did like not being able to figure well, out how what. old are you i'm 38
0: right so, so. you're almost the same age right? right
1: yeah so not being able to relate to what you're going to do after college sort of
0: well, the the way he released the albums, it's almost like checkpoint. If you're near that age right. range,
1: it's like checkpoints for your own life. Right. And then remember when Kanye West says, uh, you know, George Bush doesn't care about black people. I was going through Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. I was down oh, in there. the south. Yeah. 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 So um, so all of those things, I had a, an intense connection to him. And so when I was talking to him, I wasn't trying to uh, sort of sun him in any way. I was just really speaking my heart to him. And Cause your feelings were hurt. My feelings were, were were hurt. Yeah. And it was. And if you listen to the past Kanye West music, and I have been, I haven't really listened to the new stuff. But if you listen to past Kanye West music, there was always so much social commentary about how people in underserved uh, and black communities were misunderstood, were profiled, were targeted. There was always so much about that, and I'm like, what changed? You know what I'm saying, like, what, like, what it's not even you don't have to stay the same obviously people change their mindsets change their perspective change as they get older as their the world gets bigger but i want to know what exactly changed like what what was the point to where you deviated off of that and you seem so far gone from that when i was when i was talking to him and now we know that it it doesn't really seem like he has even a, a hold on who he is or a grasp of who he is right now I mean, has there been a diagnosis yet? Has there been a medical,
2: I mean, has there been reports of him? We know about him seeking the medical help, the medical attention that he's mm-hmm. needed for the episodes that he's had. But it, this is pretty apparent. Like, you know, he hits a lot of the markers in the the diagnostic manual for bipolar behavior. He said that he is. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that, that I mean. and, and I think it even
0: is more simple than that. How many celebrities have we seen just getting driv- driven, driven, crazy by being famous it happens bro i mean this has happened over and over and over some again. shake back some don't like britney spears shaving her head that day yeah. at the what was britney that spears. the Lummertage pool and
1: right she was just she borrowing
0: somebody's bathing suit and yeah. like michael jackson like how many times do we have to see this yeah i i it's a tough one for me because kanye uh was one of my favorites, but is somebody like in my family was really big. Like it was somebody we always listen to driving to soccer games and it was my daughter's fire up music and on all our playlists. And uh-huh. it's just like to have your kids go, is he ever coming back? Right. Is he just gone? Is he just a crazy person now? It's like, I don't know. I don't have an answer. You know, we Usually as the
1: parent, you have an answer. I don't have an answer for this one. I emailed him and he emailed me back. Yeah? Yeah. I emailed him. Um, because he apologized, right? He apologized for the. And here's the thing: Kanye West is a good person. He is. He's a like he's a he's a he's a good guy at heart. Like if you even when I was talking to him, he was listening. You know what I mean? Like he 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 he. When he came out, he went on the radio station in Chicago, and he uh, he was talking about um, how he made people feel, and he seemed to have genuine remorse at, at hurting some people. So I, I sent him an email. He emailed me back, and he explained um every single question cuz what I what I asked him is that I said yo um uh you seem to be a good person and the question then becomes um I went through my entire history with his music and his cultural influence like I just did and I said what do you how do you address good people who you disagree with as strongly as I disagree with you and I said I don't really even know that I agree with the substance of your apology, but how do, how do I address this with you? Like a hero of mine, he answered all the questions and then put me on some other emails and we were going back and forth. And then he just went left again. He just went left again. Like it just, he, the, you know, whatever he believes politically is one thing, but this stuff is bizarre, man, and yeah, I'm not well, going to pretend like yeah. this shit isn't it's bizarre. I want to be yeah. that's
2: just the thing. This is a person with a with a diagnosed mental illness. Right. And so he needs help. He needs like, you know, professional help and a network that can help him and not to indulge, you know, some of the the um avenues that are self-defeating for him, like going to the White House, that's self-defeating. Like, you know, what well, I don't know what the uh status of his Uh, What medicine that he's on and everything like that, but it's not helpful for him, his own like existence in the world to be
1: going through these self defeating episodes. I I don't think what do I mean? That was legitimately that moment. Legitimately to me, was Anakin Skywalker submitting to Emperor Palpatine. That moment, that moment was legitimately the whole black community was Mace Windu. The whole black community was Mace Windu, and we were trying to stop the Emperor. We thought we had him, and Anakin cut our arm off, kicked us out the window, and then submitted.
0: But
2: it, it, it's, it's an illness.
0: He but has I, an illness. But I also I don't even think he has the standing like that anymore, does he? Like if he had it done depends. that six months ago, right, it would have been right, different. Like, now, now just, you're, you're probably right about that. Because I, I think
1: same, he squandered that connection even before this in a lot of different ways. But even the, the, the frustrating part is if you listen to a lot of the things that he was talking about while he was talking to President Trump those things would all be helpful for the community. Like, if you're talking about infrastructure, bringing factories back to places like Chicago, Compton, South Baton Rouge, Gary, Indiana, where you can bring jobs back to people where they can sustain these these lifestyles and provide for their family and all of that, that's all great stuff. And then at the end on it, you just fucking shit on it. You shit on it by surrendering and kowtowing and saying to Trump, like, you're like my dad and stuff like that. And it's like... And it's once again. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this that that love Donald Trump. I don't want to get into a political thing, but Kanye West is like, it. For me, is just insanely disappointing. And it's one of the <laughs> culturally, it's one of the major disappointments of my life.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, going back to like the celebrity part of it and fame, kind of breaking somebody's brain almost a little bit. You think about like how tough his life was, and a lot of what he sang about in his music. And he always would mention the car accident and, Uh um, but also even how he got his first album and how hard those extra two years, like he's going around and, um, it was just such a great story for for sure. Right up until a couple of years ago, Uh but you go all the way to like 2000, I don't know, 13, 14. It's really one of the great 12 year stories of any artist. Like this guy who repeatedly did the music that he wanted to do, right. that actually put real thought into how he put it out. Mm-hmm. Each album had a theme. Right. Um, The way he dealt with fame was, he was candid about it right. and he would get angry about it, but it was never like off the rails. Right. And then something shifted and, you know, I, I don't know whether it was getting involved with the Kardashians. I'm not talking about like the curse of the Kardashians, like yeah. that, but just like... Going into that family Mm -hmm. and how that fame becomes a machine, which was never what he was really about. It was, and I I, don't know if that like messed with his brain. Like all of a sudden now he's this pawn in this reality show game, and he's, you know, he's, I don't know. It just seemed like he lost his way, and I think he knew it, and I think that was part of it.
1: So Kanye West, you you guys heard the song "All of the Lights," yeah, so you heard that song. That song by itself. I think he said it took seven or eight months to make, so one song maybe maybe the finest achievement maybe in hip hop like a fantastic song that one song took seven or eight months to make. I say that to say that the story of Kanye West prior to this last two or three years that you're talking about was of someone supremely dedicated to artistry, yeah, Kanye's life was about the art, whatever it was. If it took six and six or eight months to get a song right, that's how long it took. You know what I mean? If it took this amount of time to get your shoes right, that's what it took. But I think that was my single favorite thing about him. Loved it. Mm-hmm. If it, if if you listen to it, if if you after the album he wants a different sound, bring in John Bryan to do the work on it with him. Like bringing all of these people, collaboration, artistry, purity, and it seems like a 180 from that. Now it seems like sticks. It seems like publicity stunts. It seems like we're talking about everything other than the music. Well, it started. I remember when he started talking about how fashion was the most. That important was the beginning thing, of it. Yeah, when it was
0: like two years ago. Yeah, and he was like, "Eh, right, I care more about this now." And it's like, "What are you talking about? You're <laughs> one of the most talented people who <laughs> right. who's done music in the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Like, how can this be more important
1: than that?" Yeah, but he was bringing right. up all of these names in fashion that we didn't know. Like, I, like it, it was like he was telling me about like he was telling Sway about how he couldn't. Get Renzo Rosso and the rest of the guys from Margiela and Diesel. And I'm like, yo, who the fuck are these? I don't give a fuck about these dudes. Who the fuck are these guys, man? Well, I, you know?
0: I mean, Hassan and I, our generation, Cobain was the most talented guy in that in that whole generation. And he, was, he lasted, what, five years? Who? Uh, Kurt, Cobain. Kurt
1: Cobain. Oh, I thought you said Cobain is in Cobain no, Bryant. No, 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 Cobain. Uh, <laughs> Cobain. Um, By the way, he, that wasn't, I listened to Nirvana. But it was it was it. He just had
0: demons, and that was it. He was gone. Came yeah. home. Kurt Loder
1: yeah. was on the TV. Said like I came home and I was I was turning on the TV because I wanted to watch MTV's The Grind. <laughs> so I, I was I was watching. Remember that? Yeah. Uh. Eric Nice. Oh yeah. I wanted uh-huh. to, I, I wanted Took to a watch, shirt off all the time. <laughs> yeah, it I wanted to yeah. Get that shirt off. But there were chicks in the you know, Whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was watching, and and Kurt Loder's was on the TV. Kurt Cobain's dead. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah not a shock though well i mean it so was that was the
0: thing it was like not the most shocking news of 1993 19- or 1994
2: 19- 13 14 i was yeah next. for sure
0: it yeah. was just like it he, he was headed the wrong way and you could see it he
2: was battling addiction from well in advance oh my of, god of uh, any sort of success the commercial success and it's really the destructive relationship did you guys know and that though in, did you guys know Yeah, we knew see
1: i didn't know like like because you guys i guess are around my big brother's age, like. I guess I didn't know nothing about heroin and as far as his relationship with Courtney Love, I just see him at the NTV. There was a
0: cra what was that? There was a crazy interview with him and Courtney Love that was the red flag interview. I can't yeah, remember what was. Right. I don't remember it, it either. It. Just like all just a ton of crazy quotes and but the lyrics of the songs, like mm-hmm. you know, when somebody's putting on a song called Rape Me, like it's <laughs> obviously they're not a hundred right, right. they're not I bad in a thousand in life yeah, yeah. at that point. Yeah. But uh but yeah, it was—it's tough, man. I think Nirvana was so good. I think some of the things that makes great art is pain mm-hmm. and loss and suffering and having to strive for shit. Like once people become successful, it's, it becomes a lot harder to. It's like the Eddie Murphy syndrome. Kind of you're in Bubble Hill. You're yeah. making thirty million dollars a movie. It's tough to get a feel for the people. Yep, Very you know, true. Kanye is like. Going in the Kardashians. Like, but well, now are you gonna write songs? What are you gonna write songs about? You're super rich, you're crazy successful, mm-hmm. and you're married to somebody who's richer than you are. Yeah. So what what what's your art? What's your struggle? Yeah, it, it, it's tough. It's just and it, it Jay-Z's had the same problem the last Like the last Jay Z album, it's like, what are Do you didn't like four four four? No, just like some of that, some of the songs, like some of the stuff he was writing about, it's mm-hmm. like, well.
1: Well, for me, are the, you are you in the mix anymore, Jay Z? I think the thing with me, what 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 Jay Z was able to get back to was actually the fact that he had had so much trouble in his personal life with Beyonce and his right. family. I think that that stuff was able to kind of center him, and also he, Jay Z. If you if you're having a conversation about who the greatest rapper of all time, there are a lot of guys you can bring up, but if you're having a conversation about who the most successful rapper of all time is, there's only one dude, right? And so for him- Although Drake, Drake's inching toward it. Drake is inching toward it- Drake's in terms had a really
0: nice 10 years. Of
1: raw popularity. I would argue that Jay-Z, in terms of cultural significance, dwarfs Drake. I would agree. You know what I mean? But Drake Drake is going to- Drake When the numbers are all tallied up, I
0: feel like it's a. It's become the music version of uh, MJ LeBron. LeBron, I was just about to say. Where like it's like, no, fuck that. Nobody will ever be MJ. Fuck you. I don't want to hear it. Right. And then LeBron just kind of wore us down. And you start to go. And then after 14 years, like, well, body of work, I don't know. Like, Drake's mm-hmm. kind of quietly slapping ears together. He is. And it's going to be after 15 years, we're going to look at each other and go. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm with you. I just think
1: Jay-Z. So... To me, this is the fundamental question about Jay-Z and LeBron is does, like, because to me, when you look at Michael Jordan, he has such control over everything on the basketball court when he was at his peak, right? When he, when he was at his peak, you just had zero doubt that Michael Jordan and the Bulls were going to find a way to do it. Right. You don't have that with LeBron James. You don't. And you, like, you, like, you, 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 you. How's Snyder leading the MJ? I'll take it to my grave. Yeah. Like, you, you, you don't, you don't I mean, Elizabeth, I love LeBron James. Right, I love me him. too. You, you don't have that with LeBron James. And by the way, like, they're, the same questions kind of, like, exist with Drake. Drake is a fantastic talent, but the reality is that Drake does not have one seminal body of work in terms of a hip-hop album. So, like, he doesn't have one. Everybody else that we're talking about, in hip-hop, right? The guys that are on the Mount Rushmore and then the next four and stuff, so, they all have one piece of rap that the generation cannot live without. They have one album that you have to have heard, right? Wu-Tang has that album. Outkast has that album. Hov has it. Most guys have it a couple of times, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Drake doesn't have that. And as many fantastic moments as he has and as many numbers as he has, what's the Drake album that where you have to be like, yo, did you ever hear this? This changed everything. I was talking to a friend of mine about because I saw Drake. It was the first time I saw him with nephew
0: Kyle, actually, my mm-hmm. son, on Friday. I was so impressed by what a charismatic performer he was because it's He's basically fantastic. like He's a it's fantastic this giant talent. stage, yeah. and it's just him. Uh-huh. And I was thinking, like, how many people? How many people, like, just in history, could in the Staples Center? make a stage that's basically the size of a basketball court, but there's no band. Mm-hmm. Rock and rock there whole thing on your own. And have the charisma to carry it. Right. So I was like, that that was the one thing I was surprised by. I was surprised Drake was that great. And, he's, and my friend said, yeah, but Kanye did the same thing, and his songs actually meant something. Yeah. And he could carry the stage the same way, but when he sang shit, there was meaning behind it. Drake's more like, it's a party. It? Mm. But it's like, there, there's no he, kind of meat. Drake is fantastically He's talented.
1: fantastic. Yeah, but he was leave? right.
0: There was no meat to the song. Yeah. So it was like, he's getting the, let me get the left side. Now I'm going to get the right side. Well, I, and it's like a
1: party and he's right. the host. Mm-hmm. But Ye has songs that have made me like question my spirituality. He's had He's had songs that made me look into sort of it's all different type of aspects of myself. Like, it's music that represents a specific moment in time. And that's kind of what Drake is doing. But by the way, here's the deal, though. It doesn't matter. It don't matter. The game is different now. Like, a lot of people, he even said it when he was talking to LeBron. A lot of people are holding on to what he thinks is an antiquated version of what matters in hip-hop. He's just racking up numbers. At the end of the day, when LeBron James, like, retires, and he owns all the records there are going to be generations of people that look at him and go, how could this guy have not been the greatest Well, and it's also a
0: generational outside. thing, because I noticed it with the Ringer staff. If it's, like, under, under like, 30, mm-hmm. LeBron's their guy, period. And not only that, <laughs> they don't even want to hear about MJ. It's mm. like, fuck you with your old man's stories about MJ. <laughs> LeBron's my guy. And for mm. our generation, it's like, fuck you with LeBron stuff. We're like, MJ's the guy. Mm. But it's really funny how there's a generational divide. Can you feel that in, like, You're in Washington, D.C., so you're like no man's land for – LeBron has no real – no, but LeBron has no real relationship with the Wiz. MJ passed through for two years, but it's not like people – whatever. But can you feel that with the under 30, over 30?
2: Well, it it manifests itself differently because the city's changed so much in just like the last one generation. The city's changed, gone through a pretty radical – uh reset in terms of of the demographics of the city there's a lot more youth just really uh coincident with the arrival of Obama so you have uh, an entirely different kind of perspective there is a DC and the DC region has a, a long storied basketball tradition still generating the many of the very best high school basketball players that go on and play all over. We can name, go through the whole list, KD, Oladipo, Depot, everybody, right? Jeff Green's back, to, Rudy, Gay. To Washington. Rudy <laughs> yeah. Gay, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. a, a long, long list of, of um DC-based basketball talent. And I think all that, all the old heads, that old generation would I, there's no debate. There's no question. Nobody's talking about everybody respects the hell out of LeBron, but but MJ has six titles, six titles. And
1: was like the sheriff. Yeah, never he's lost. Just like once he got that, once he figured it out, he never lost. Different time, but at the same time, you know. And I love LeBron, and LeBron is everything that I want a contemporary athlete to be. But you know, it's different, man. It's just different. Dude. I, I am a,
0: I'm a LeBron Kool Aid drinker now. You are. I just think he's he's such a great role model. He's The guy, and he just works his ass off. And the worst thing he ever did was the decision, which is like stupid. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. You he, know? He, like, if, like for all that's been put on him since 02, you know, I think he's, when we're talking about Kanye now mm-hmm. and how fame can change you, and Le, mm-hmm. LeBron, it's been the opposite. It's like, it's made him stronger, it's given him strength. He in his neckbeard.
1: And he, yeah, he <laughs> definitely has a neck beard. He leaned into it, it's so hard for a guy like that to lean into expectations. When when he leaned into the expectations of him, um, and he even raised them off the court. LeBron has set a standard off the court that everybody in sports is trying to care. Every, every like everyone in sports is trying to be as relevant off the court as he is right now. And really, to be honest with you, that is going to be the legacy of 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 his life even more than basketball. Like I've like if basketball is going to pale in comparison. To the career off the court that LeBron James is gonna have with Maverick Carter and all of those guys. It's gonna well, be Well and the
0: other thing is I, I did a panel with Maverick and we were talking about when those guys came up in like oh five, oh six, and it was like LeBron's starting a company with his friends, and everybody's reaction was like, uh oh. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, he's right. starting some of his buddies. Mm-hmm. This'll be a disaster. You know, and they they had to fight this. Prejudice is the wrong word. What what's the word when people are just looking down on them? Uh I
2: mean dismissiveness. Dismissiveness. Your condescension. Condescension. But like, we, oh, like, just like, like, oh, you, you guys like, are you're you're bringing your buddy Maverick oh, and a posse? You're bringing your posse around? Yeah. yeah posse Phil Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> the famous Phil Jackson. Right. Uh, posse.
0: Look, they're not throwing a no-hitter, but you know, I, I think they've made some strides. And now we're now we're in this world where every uh every famous player is going to have their own content company, which I think is going to be hilarious. I think it will be too. There's going to be some good, some good bad content companies. I
1: just want to let y'all way. know they don't drink, no, um, they don't drink Merlot in the barbershop. So I want just make sure y'all know that. That's y'all good. Go to, now I remember if y'all go that. To any, if y'all go to a black barbershop, you're not going to find no Merlot. I love the show, but Tommy, I know you can hear me. I love the show, but chill out. Is this no the
0: only barbershop where the barbers don't actually talk? No, no.
1: The, in most barbershops you go to— In my most barber, barbershops,
0: it's only the barbers, right? The right. people are saying barber, anything.
1: My barber—we we, we talk—my barber comes to my house to cut my hair now because he's been kicked out of several different barbershops around L.A. <laughs> True story. Like, uh, and so he comes to my house to cut my hair. When he cuts my hair, I don't talk. I stay completely silent for the entire time that my hair is getting cut. Do you know why? Because if I start talking to this motherfucker, it'll be an hour and a half, two hours before I got shit to do. I gotta go to sleep. I gotta be up early. Yes. So I stay completely silent. Meanwhile, in the shop, the barbers never say nothing. I think I was talking to Not a Not very I, realistic. Huh? I was talking to uh, you know Charlemagne. Yeah. Like my brother. So I was talking to my brother Charlemagne about it, and he said a dope concept would have been if LeBron and Mav just popped up at real barbershops and just And they talked, put hidden cameras and or Or this, just real cameras. Get everybody to sign a release and talk to the people and stuff like that. Not saying that the shop isn't dope, because it is dope. It's a dope-ass show. I liked it, especially the last one mm. was fucking fire. But ain't nobody drinking Merlot in a barbershop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm still surprised that you liked Jay-Z's last album that much. For, for,
1: for everybody liked it. Everybody liked it. I just can't, I can't. You're talking dev- about, you're talking about the, his last solo joint, not this joint that just job with Beyonce. Which one oh, are you talking I about? Oh, I was
0: talking about the last one. Which one? With The, the one, one with, that with Beyonce.
1: Okay, that was, I like that one too,
0: though. <laughs> I don't care about Jay-Z and Beyonce's romantic problems.
1: Okay.
0: Is it okay if I don't care about that? I don't right. even care They're about my own you. friend's romantic yeah. problems. Yeah, They're not, not for
1: you. I know, but you, but we're invested.
0: You're invested in the relationship. Yeah. That's the royal couple in some ways. I don't want
1: to live in a world where Jay-Z and Beyonce are divorced. What's that about?
0: I was watching Flickin' Channels the other day, and Austin Powers was on, and she was in Goldmember, which I totally forgot. She forgotten. ruined wow. the
1: Goldmember. She wasn't good. She ruined I got to say, though, she looked good. Right, she she looked fantastic. I remember I got. Into She's a- bad in
0: that though. Not a lot of sexual tension with her and Mike Myers.
1: Nah, didn't, was a didn't little really really reverberate right? through the TV. I Cleopatra. I'm yeah. a whole lot of women. <laughs> um, but she, uh, but she, you know, Beyonce and Jay Z are an institution. By the way. That gives couples every—because one thing that I don't like is some of the speculation that, like, people don't have problems in their relationship. People judge Jay-Z and Beyonce and stuff like that. I know people in my hood and, like, where I'm from that have gone through way worse stuff than that. Um, but it's good to see them still together. And so I am invested in it. I like that.
0: Uh, I'd have more, but I'd, let's save some for the next time you come on. Gotcha. There's so many topics. Yes. Plus, we got to get to Damien Chazelle. House, any last thoughts? Uh, You're
2: where we, hungry. Where are we going to dinner? Is that your last thought? That is my last thought.
0: Nephew Kyle, someday you can, $15,000 clubs.
1: How much is it for wine bottle service? So if you get, it depends on what club, what table, and what night. So if you're at, let's say you at, let's say you're at. <laughs> let's say you're Saturday, at, Saturday night's bad. It sounds like 15000 is well, cheap. Let's say, let's say you're at, and shout out to Dev and Mark and all of them, because I'm going to know I'm going to get this wrong. But let's say you're at like Poppy or One Oak. Well, poppy is hot now. Let's say yeah, poppy. You want the main or main table? It's like a Friday. or It's a big deal. You are probably gonna spend like ten grand for the for the for the for the table. Sometimes more. All star game. You might have to. All star weekend. You might have to spend sixty thousand. So just the table is ten grand. Well, you get the bottle service. Or oh, you get one.
0: It. But what if I want like ten bottles? So that you got to keep out. buying them.
1: Mm-hmm. And the bottles are gonna be. God, you know, I'm so old. You are gonna keep buying them? I've never done this before. Anytime you've seen me sipping on like I'm the, the you at somebody you're the else's. beneficiary. Yeah. I'm like, I'm at somebody else's. And by the way, that's how you know I'm not in these clubs trying to get women because women don't like guys like this. Yeah. <laughs> like you try to, like you, like you, you try to grab the drink. I'm like, no, girl, it's my turn. I'm about to like like, like don't don't like like I'm like, don't touch that. It's my turn. I'm about to have a am about to make my own screwdriver. Then after me, you can go. Thank you very much. Put your breasts away. And now I make my drink. <laughs> we almost
2: had an orange juice. Oh, on, we chill.
1: almost had an orange juice. Yeah, you might want to tap the girl and tell her to go get some more.
0: <laughs> remember when we went to Miami the Super Bowl weekend? 2010? Oh, I remember. Yes, I I do recall that. That we were in that whole club scene. <laughs> we the, it hadn't really gone. You out. hear that? Two thousand ten. Two thousand ten. Yeah. So, Here we go. At this in decade, Miami. I'm
1: out of the loop. Once
0: my daughter became old enough to judge me, I had to turn it down. Uh, Van Lathan, this was fun. Uh, Pro- love it, man. Promote, uh, oh yes, the Red uh, Pill podcast. The Red
1: Pill podcast, <laughs> man. We we just interviewed Jay Prince. Um, that's up right now. Nick Cannon is coming in tomorrow. Oh, and wow. so I'll do Nick Cannon. That'll be up Tuesday. So the Red Pill podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Van Lathan's the Red Pill. And Check
0: speaking out. of promotion, I went on House of Carbs. Is that going up this week? I think we have pasta a minute. bar tonight. Oh,
1: Joe House and I. We
0: we tried to figure out why the pasta bar isn't a bigger thing. I don't even know what that is So you go to Like you go to a wedding Or You know A charity event Or something And for dinner They have a Like a pasta so, oh, Like a yeah, pasta yeah. buffet
1: Type yeah, of yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah It's like That's a buffet why, for pasta we, I like that That's yeah. why I'll I fuck with that Well we
0: yeah. like it too But we had some ideas To make it better So we did that On House of Carbs If oh, you I'm like pasta listen Don't listen if you're a vegan though Because I I might have you done some flybys on the vegans the vegan. <laughs> Just for fun. I just think they're a little sensitive sometimes. Uh, So check that out. Coming up, Damien Chazelle first. Let's take a break. Before we get to Damien, let's face it. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Studies show 70% of guys who experience erectile dysfunction don't get treated for it. That's bad. The thing most people don't realize is that ED is like a check engine light for a man's body. It could be an indicator there's something more serious going on, like a heart issue or diabetes. Thankfully, our sponsor Roman has created an easy, discreet way to get checked out by a doctor, get treated for ED online. It's a one-stop shop. Licensed U.S. physicians can diagnose your ED. Ship meds right from your pharmacy from their pharmacy to your door. You don't have to wait in rating rooms, deal with any awkward face-to-face conversations, make any uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. Just visit GetRoman.com slash Bill. Fill out a brief questionnaire, chat with a doctor, get real FDA-approved medication if recommended by your doctor. It's all prescribed online, delivered straight to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction—a problem guys don't tackle, but it's really important. And now with Roman, it's really easy to take care of it for a free online visit. Just go to getroman.com slash bill. All right, Damien Chazelle is here. Sean Fantasy is here, editor-in-chief of The Ringer. We do a little three-man podcast. First man came out this this weekend it's been out for 3 days three this days. is your i guess it's your third major movie that's come out what's that experience yeah. like the first weekend Do
1: uh, you
0: sleep are you just checking constantly from people <laughs> involved in the movie how it's tracking are you one of those people or are you just kind of send it out uh, i i think i
4: always intend to just send it out and and kind of close the blinds and go on to the next thing but i'm never really able to i just yeah. sort of wind up uh I wind up immersed in the nitty gritty, Um, uh, you know. Which maybe it's a side of myself I should embrace and not try to fight it. (laughs) But for whatever reason, yeah, I I stay neurotic and OCD and involved the whole way through, kind of uh, in it from the beginning till
0: the end. What were you most worried about when you released this? Like that, the length of the movie, or would people come out to see it, or like what when when you're when you're. uh, thinking your neuroses, (laughs) what, what's like popping out on like Thursday night, right before the movie comes out? Um, it's
4: usually a whole host of things. I mean, uh, you know, I think with this movie, we were definitely conscious of the fact that it's, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of engage in a lot of the, you know, maybe more sort of expected, uh, historical epic tropes. Um, and, uh, you know, so so on the one hand, I think uh, the real relief for me was uh, just getting the movie made at all. Was kind of uh, you know uh, uh, being able to. Uh, we worked with Universal on the movie, and they were uh, incredibly and and I would say surprisingly supportive of. Um, of kind of what we wanted to do with it uh, and and the intimacy we wanted to bring to it, the documentary-ness we wanted to bring to it, shooting a lot of it on 16, um, you know uh, uh, not trying to make Neil Armstrong something that he wasn't, trying to kind of respect how soft-spoken and taciturn and introverted he is, but that makes him very much not your conventional movie hero. Yeah. Um, so all the things that kind of interested me, um, they, were, they were on board with, so I, I, I think I went in first into the movie with a lot of trepidation of just being able to make the movie I wanted to make and and so definitely once we got to the finish line I was relieved that that the movie up on the screen was the movie that I'd kind of dreamed of and envisioned yeah. um you know it's not always the case um and uh But then, yeah, very quickly. I mean, we 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 finished right before, like three days before we premiered at Venice. So it was kind of right away. You switch your mind from the the stress of making it to then the stress of putting it out at the world. And I'm just the type of person that gets stressed at every single screening, every festival. (laughs) Every so in a way, like the, the theatrical release is kind of just one of many stressful milestones for, for for this movie or any given movie so are you
0: in the theater or are you one of those people that no. walks around the the town as it's being screened and no then- no I'm not I'm not I was going to say I'm not that crazy, but then again,
4: that's not. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call that crazy. It's just uh, different different levels
0: of uh, OCD-ness. What would be your move if you released a movie, Sean?
3: What would be my movie? Would well,
0: you stay? Would you stay in the theater, or would you be one of those like you just leave and go outside and just wait for people to come
3: out? I think I would probably lock myself in my house just constantly. I think that's what I would do too. You know, I'd be going crazy. I don't. I don't think that would be good for me
0: because when the people come out of the screening, you must. Just be trying to read their faces and yeah, no, I overinterpret tr- every reaction? Well, I, yeah, I
4: know that I would do that, so I try to not be anywhere physically close to where the people would come out of the screen. Yeah. <laughs> so I I like... Uh, uh, it's, why, it's why Q&As actually are never, never my favorite thing because there's yeah. always some version of having to confront the people who've just seen the movie. <laughs> and uh, it's no longer this, uh, this invisible uh, 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 mass that you can kind of... Uh, project onto, you know, you sort of, you see, you see what it is that the movie does. I, 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 you know, sometimes I'll force myself in certain screenings to, uh, you know, sit in the audience while the movie plays, you know,
0: um, like a festival premiere or something like that. And well, you wanted to see stressful. this one on the IMAX, I'm sure. Right. Cause that's, yeah,
3: I made sure first I saw
0: it on the iPad. I'm going to see it in the <laughs> IMAX, but uh, I don't think the iPad was how you intended. iPad, IMAX, you know, <laughs> so they almost sound the same, but they,
4: they look a little different. <laughs> <laughs> uh I did get to see it on, uh, well, I maybe mean, certainly when we were finishing it, you know, uh, we were finishing it on IMAX. But, um, but then, yeah, that was one of the few screenings I kind of forced myself to sit through was uh, when we first screened on IMAX at Toronto. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, I never handle screenings particularly well. I'm just usually move. kind of a sweaty... A sweaty mess with my hands sort of dripping during most of it. Sean so. saw it on the IMAX. I did. That he,
3: that seems like the right way to see it. That's, yes, that's my guess. Yeah,
4: I mean, I, I you know, not that there's a wrong way. I don't want people to think. Don't that sleep not, on the iPad, man. Maybe some best intense best moments. Way, but uh, yeah, maybe the iPad right now is as close to a wrong way as you could get. <laughs> <laughs>
0: iPhones maybe probably if, number one worse. iPad. Yeah, at, too. Le- at least
4: you're one, you're one removed yeah. from that. It's good. On the list of eyes, you're, yeah, number two from the bottom.
0: Could you feel it when, like, you know, especially that first scene, you're trying to capture, this is crazy that we're sending these dudes into space and basically tin cans. Could you feel that in the big-ass theater?
3: Yeah, it rumbles like crazy. The sound is unbelievable. I mean, how did you go about making that feel as close to the real thing as possible? Uh, Well, you know, the, the, the... that was the goal. I mean, it was, it was uh, one thing that I
4: found that actually, you know, ironically, it's sometimes by limiting your choices, you actually can, can make people feel that they're getting an even more immersive experience, you know. So for, for, for that first scene or for some of the launch sequences, just limiting ourselves in the capsule, not sort of giving the audience the, the safety of views that the astronauts or pilots wouldn't be seeing. Um, I think that it's a simple choice, but I do think it just helps connect on a visceral level the audience to the person in the cockpit. So suddenly you see everything they see, you hear everything they hear, you interpret everything as though you are in that cockpit. And so then, uh, then from there, it's about using the sound to kind of complete the three-dimensional picture. Because the camera is limited in what it's seeing or not seeing, the sound then can almost be even more heightened. It can be even uh, uh, more intense, more, you know, sort of oscillating between... Exactly what the pilot would actually hear, just, you know, pure authentic machine sounds relative to that craft and, you know, uh, uh, heightened, uh, you know, uh, uh, sounds that could augment the emotional feeling of it. Like we used animal sounds, we used sounds from from uh, warfare, guns, uh, explosions, uh, you know, lions roaring, elephants stampeding, the whole kind of, uh, the the whole nine yards. But you sort of bake them into the sort of, the the diegetic sounds and and you create a kind of, I'd say, an emotional reality uh, for the audience. The The last three
0: movies you made sound was like one of the biggest characters in the movie. Definitely, yeah. Is that an obsession of yours or is that a coincidence? Um. Well I think
4: you know I I I think I'm really interested in just the the kind of plastic uh elements of filmmaking you know the form uh just you know just especially when you strip it down to its elementals you know sound and image and just seeing how those two things work together um it's probably why I have an affinity for sort of long stretches of uh, dialogue-free filmmaking. I think that's another probably through line through those movies. Um, Just that sort of idea of pure cinema where you can set up a situation where an audience doesn't need dialogue and they can just sort of be immersed in the primal ingredients of movies, the, the ingredients that have been sort of enthralling audiences since uh, since the birth of cinema. I
0: That's think, why yeah. Rocky IV is such a classic. <laughs> That's Ten exactly Ten minute sequences with no dialogue. That's exactly He's it. He sly knew what he was giving the audience.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I guess it, it, we talk on this show all the time about how if they don't make a lot of movies like this anymore. And the idea of doing something especially that is like this subjective and not showing this the traditional vision of the space that we see or the moon landing that we see must have been somewhat difficult to convince people to do and to give you all this money to do. I mean, do you have that sense that it's harder to get movies like this made? And did you have a hard time getting this movie made? Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I guess
4: I, in a way there were certain kind of lucky circumstances with with this movie because, um, you know, the 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 producers and Universal had the 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 rights to this book, Jim Hanson's. Um, a biography of Neil uh, called First Man. And, um, and so, you know, basically, I kind of, uh, uh, you know, I started working with a screenwriter, Josh Singer, to to adapt the book. Um, and, and I, we were lucky that the, you know, we, we, we were pretty, I, I sort of made a point of being pretty open and honest and transparent about what I wanted the movie to be right off the bat. And I have to say, I half expected uh, either Universal or, or the producers to kind of react initially, like no, no, thanks, that's not what we're looking for. And, and pretty much, I was, you know, open about the things you're talking about. That you know, these these space sequences or flying sequences were going to be super subjective. That the you know camera wasn't going to leave the cockpit. That even for the rest of the movie, everything was going to be sort of up close and personal, as though a documentary crew was sort of stalking the characters and getting close to their faces. And that's just that was going to be the style of the movie. Um, that it was not going to be a sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, it wasn't going to be your typical giant sort of myth making space movie. It was going to kind of go against that or try to. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I, I basically laid all that out on the table. Um, again, half expecting them to say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Um, and then, and they said, great. I said that sounds great, you know, go ahead and do it. Um, and why uh, do you think they trusted you which, to do that? Which I was Cause... surprised by. Well, I think, in retrospect, actually, they they were, and I think this is one of the reasons why the, the rights to this book had kind of been. Um, there, there was a period of time where they had the rights to this book, and and you know, uh, it was sort of languishing, that it wasn't really going anywhere. And I, I think it was partly just because they 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 didn't want to do the, the traditional biopic, you know. Um, so, so I think there was actually this appetite to, you know, okay, if we're going to do this, we have to find some way to do it differently. Um, and Well, there's also the shadow yeah. of Apollo 13, right? And like all, if, and the right stuff and all, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like all if the, you're going to uh,
0: make the same type of movie we've seen when people go into space and there's the wide shot of everybody in the exactly. control center celebrating. And I've already seen that movie.
4: Exactly. So, so I think... Uh, but but you know a lot of times studios want to just see the movie they've already seen and so yeah, I, yeah. I i had a lucky situation with uh, with the folks at universal that they were actually very much on board with doing something different um and uh and you know it's it That said, you know it's still a process of you know where you have to just then you know once you're all on the same page intellectually, then you got to figure out logistically how you do it, you know and 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 this this one was tough, you know because because of the way we wanted to do it, this wasn't going to be a you know giant giant budgeted movie for what it was, and and we weren't going to have a ton of days to shoot it, you know so so we had to shoot it in less than sixty days, and we had to find a way to to kind of uh, Marry the the sort of quotidian life, the home life of the movie uh, with, with the space sequences. Find a way to do the space sequences practically. I wanted to do those in camera, which is its own kind of, can be its own sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, knee-breaking kind of ordeal. But, um, but again, I think you get a lot out of it as a result. Yeah. So, the, you know, the, we wanted to shoot a lot of the movie on 16, but you've got to be careful. Especially we knew we were doing an IMAX blow up. Going from 16 millimeter to IMAX is a is uh, it's not generally done because 16 uh, is uh, a very tiny gauge uh, and, uh, you know, tiny format and IMAX is very huge. Um, but we liked that idea of d- setting up kind of a Wizard of Oz moment on the moon where you could go from the smallest film format there is to the biggest. Um, well, I guess we could have done Super 8 if we were really, if we were really ballsy, we would have done Super 8 to IMAX. But <laughs> instead we did Super 16 to IMAX. But anyway, you know, you're trying to kind of uh, uh, wet ourselves to certain things like that, that we knew would be either difficult to execute or difficult to sell. Um, but but at least with the sort of overall support of everyone, the studio, the crew, myself, everyone being in agreement that, okay, you know, even if we fall on our face, at least we got to try to do something different here. Because as yeah. you say, otherwise there's no point.
3: What would you say was the hardest part? Was there a moment when you were like, oh shit, why did I do it this way? Like, I can't, yeah, the, I can't pull this off.
4: The 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 first day we tried to do kind of our... Space sequences. I mean, the first scene of the movie, this X-15 flight, was our first day of kind of 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 set pieces. Like we had we had done all the on the ground, uh, you know, quote unquote normal stuff. Uh, we broke for a, a hiatus during the uh, uh, during the uh, the winter break, came back, uh, started working on sound stages, and that first day. And we we had kind of spent a lot of time in prep figuring out how we were going to do this, and you know uh, we had a we had a, a full scale replica of the airplane built on a soundstage, and it was on a gimbal so it could move back and forth. And in front of it was a big LED screen which was projecting all the all the stuff that basically Neil and the audience sees out the window. So it was all set up. We we had looked at what the LED imagery was going to be. We had looked at the craft. We'd figured out our angles. It had all been storyboarded, um, and show up, and after, you know, we had just done a month or so of shooting where we were banning out multiple scenes a day, it was really quick. And suddenly we show up, and a whole day passed uh, without pulling off a single shot. And uh, and that had never happened to me before, where, like, we had had, like, we were supposed to shoot a third of the scene that day, and we didn't get, we never rolled camera because we could never even get into a place where we could roll camera because everything would break down. Like, as soon as the craft would start to work, then suddenly, you know, the screen wouldn't work the way we needed it to, or the angle would be off, and you'd see off the set, or you know the gimbal would start malfunctioning, or or these spacesuits. I had I had always taken for granted how difficult spacesuits are. Like I realize now why why movies tend to these days uh, just digitally create the visor. Um, it's because once you put a visor on, once you fully enclose someone in a helmet, then you got to figure out well you got to they have to breathe. So you got to get, you know, uh, uh, oxygen tubes in there. They have to not overheat. You got to get cooling tubes in there. But then when the oxygen is hissing, how are you going to hear their audio? So you have to have the oxygen and the audio in this really tricky balance that changes every time they like move. It takes them half an hour to even get in and out of the craft. So Ryan just wound up sitting in that craft like a lot between takes because it was too much of a hassle to get in and out. Ooh, um, the whole crazy. thing was just like hair pulling and, and eventually we you know, the next day we finally popped a few shots off and that felt like a victory. And, you know, and and we hit our groove, uh, but we were starting off at such a deficit in a way. I mean, it was, it was, uh that was the hardest, that was the moment where definitely it felt like, oh, maybe we should have, you know, maybe we should have done this with, you know, the digital visor and green screen and just half the buck and we just fix it in post. And Gosling you through his little visor. <laughs> like, why'd you, you do this to me? You know, you know I, 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 I will always uh, be thankful to him that he, because he, he had many instances where he could have done that. And, yeah. and he, was, uh, he was gung-ho the entire time. Um, in fact, I think he was even more adamant about not using green screen than I was, because I think he, he, in his mindset, it was like, you know what, if I have to wait around, fine, but at least when I'm doing the scene... I'll have stuff physically, in my view, to act off of. At least I'll actually be able to. And, and we were able to do kind of full takes. Once we finally started shooting, you know, which was a thing, uh, we were able to kind of, that scene, for instance, carry him through, you know, being under the B-52, dropping, breaking through the atmosphere, bouncing. We were able to kind of run it almost like a little stage play in the cockpit, and then we would run it from different angles over and over. But, you know, he, he was kind of able to... Um, was sort of the hope, act it the way you would act a normal scene, even though you're, you know, uh, we we tried to set it up so that for him, at least, he could kind of forget he was on a soundstage in Atlanta and just imagine, you know, for the most part, because he wasn't seeing camera equipment or a green screen or whatnot, he could imagine for the most part that maybe he was hanging from a B-52 40,000 feet above the air and shooting into
0: space.
3: I mean, it's kind of an amazing testament to Space travel, the fact that it was so hard just to recreate space travel for a film like it's just unbelievable that was
0: my biggest takeaway from the movie like i I guess I had never really thought about how ridiculous it was that we even tried to do this in the sixties, yeah, yeah, and I hadn't either before I started just, the just like how random it was, like easily every one of these could have just gone terribly absolutely it's a
4: miracle that they didn't i mean it's truly the the it, it's the it's the strange kind of event or or part of our history where the more I found the more I learned about it, the more details I got about it, the more incredulous I became. Like, the more astounding the feat became.
0: I guess it makes sense because you see TVs from the 1960s compared to now. Yeah. And then you think, like, oh, man, we tried to send people to outer space. With with this technology. With the knowledge that we had in 1965. the nineteen sixties. they they were doing their
4: calculations
0: with pencil and paper, you know, half the
4: time. They were using slide rules and, like— uh, i will always remember the first time I saw some of these crafts uh, you know in real life, whether uh, you know it was probably the first one I saw it was in a museum, but you know especially getting to come up close to them, and they are so unreassuring yeah they're <laughs> if, rickety if right if you you're in a place where you're going to fly them oh yeah, yeah, and so small I mean I think that was one of the big things that uh, Nathan Crowley was the production designer, and one of the big things we talked a lot about was. Because it can be hard to communicate scale in a, in a film. It's hard to communicate how big something is, and it's hard to sometimes communicate how small something is. And so so trying, because I, I felt like I had never, in all the space films I'd seen, I never actually, I still found myself surprised when I saw the craft or some of the crafts in person. They still were smaller than I had expected, even yeah. having seen some of the footage. And it's just because, you know, the, the frame, the angles, it's hard for you to sense the three-dimensionality of... Uh, of a surrounding, you always kind of imagine it a little bit bigger. Things always come out a little bit bigger on screen. So we, so we tried to find ways to, to, um, you know, create those crafts to scale uh, and 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 fully enclose the camera in them as much as possible. So shoot a lot of POV, you know, kind of straight POV angles. Sometimes our sometimes the DP himself would just kind of crawl in in a spacesuit into the craft and just shoot, you know, a right. tiny little sixty millimeter camera out the window and panning around, and it just helped. Give you a sense of just how close your face is to the console, to the window, to the other guy, to the door that comes down over your head. We just tried to emphasize all the things that would make it feel as claustrophobic, as I think it really was.
0: Everything was rickety back then. Because yeah. I was watching Love Story a couple months ago with Ryan O'Neill, mm-hmm. and he takes her to his parents' like that estate. was a big comp for us. He's in that. Well, he's in that. <laughs> he's in that awesome Porsche. Yep. From like, you know, he just like the classic, yeah, you would see this online, guy. but he's driving the things
3: like, Arr! and
0: then he's shaking. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's just what we had back then.
3: It's crazy too how risky it was. Cause you point out in the movie, which I think we forget that there were a lot of people who were not excited about this and thought it was a really bad idea yeah, and a huge yeah. waste of money. yeah And I, I think we kind of forget that.
4: And we, and and honestly, we only, I mean, it was really important to me to get into that in the movie, but we could have spent even more time on that because it's, it's, you know, there, there's this misconception, I think, of like, of, of. Uh, that era having been all about space travel and everyone being gung-ho about this sort of idealistic, uh, you know, notion of it. And, you know, it re- with the exception of the very beginning of the 60s, when when we were still sort of in that fresh Cold War with Russia yeah. mentality, and then I'd say with the other exception of literally just the moon landing itself, not even lead up to launch, but literally just the landing, that like those few days in the summer of 69, Uh Approval for the program in general hovered around fifty percent, if not below. Um, is is that, that why you na- put nationally? that song in the movie?
0: The way, yeah, song? I mean, that,
4: yeah. So that song is that's a real song, for, you know, by Gil Scott-Heron from the period, and that's just one example of. I remember at first we had, at first, you know, instead we had a um, a speech that was kind of modeled after some some of the more famous op-eds uh, that that we'd been reading from the time, uh, uh, from national newspapers and publications and and things kind of voicing similar concerns. Um, And uh, and then and then and then we actually Ryan found this this Gil Scott Aaron track that seemed to kind of articulate all of it so much better in such a kind of compelling way. Um, But then, you know, this also it was very easy to find, for example, footage of, you know, archival footage of whether it was protesters or, you know, famous people like Kurt Vonnegut going on TV saying this is a waste. You know, Um, uh, there was there was a there was a real there was a real debate. That I think has been forgotten in the glow of the moon landing. You
0: know, we there were so many other things people were angry about back then. That late '60s was rough in general. This was yeah, which, in there, but I mean, man, there was like so much going which makes it even on. more ironic, yeah. I think, in a way
4: that, like, uh, uh, and poignant maybe that you know that, that 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 event, that that sort of fleeting moment of of hope and unity that we think of as the moon landing, um, happened in the midst of everything else that so when you think of 68 and 69 you know you think of assassinations you think of the Vietnam yeah. War you think of riots in the cities 69 it's Altamont Manson you know uh, the same week that uh, me being th- that born. they walk on the moon this <laughs> Chappaqu- <laughs> oh, oh my god even worse <laughs>
0: another, another, another tragedy I,
4: I
3: was about to say Chappaquiddick but, but I, I, you, you trumped yeah. me with, the, with your birth <laughs> <laughs> two iconic moments in New England history really your birth <laughs> yeah. I like to
0: think the moon landing and me being born were the only two things that saved <laughs> yeah. 69. Wait, so are you, were you born in that month? Or? I
4: was September, yeah.
0: September, September, I was September like 69? Right, yeah. Wow. I think I was right after. When? What was the exact date? It was July, July 20th. Yeah. So, so, so,
4: you, so you would have been, uh, yeah,
0: you would have been born right when they were probably doing kind of their world tour. My you, mom said we watched right it as global. in her stomach. But she, I mean, it seemed like every single American was involved somehow with that telecast. I, I would yeah. say that's probably the most watched television said that right. we've but had.
3: There, there's hundreds it, of millions that were viewing it. You said yeah. 400 million? Yeah. The, the, yeah, the
4: estimate's about 400 million
0: um, people worldwide.
3: I'm trying to think of one thing that could give us 400 million people watching at the same time right now. Is there 50 year
0: old Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl? I, I really hope not. No. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe this interview. Yeah. I don't know. I'm possibly. I, I'm hopeful.
3: It's going so well. <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's not sell ourselves short. You yeah, know? it could happen. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious about. So there's a lot of controversy, obviously, around the movie. You were. You also had controversy with the La La Land Oscars moment. I'm wondering, I don't care about the controversy, honestly, but I am interested in what it's like to be thrust (laughs) into a controversy like this. Uh You seem like a very nice person trying to make good movies. When you find yourself in a weird moment like that, what is that like?
4: Um, Well, yeah, it's always a little strange. I mean, I guess um, with this movie, I think it was uh, especially strange since, you know... uh, well, you know, because the, the, the controversy as I under, understood it was revolving around um, the flag on the lunar surface, um, which, again, confused me because we we do show the flag on the lunar surface several times. Um, and, and then I sort of, you know, understood that it was a little more about, um, you know, uh, 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 actually seeing the flag being the pole of the flag being physically planted, uh, which Neil and Buzz did together. It took, you know, t- it took a, a long time for them to plant it in. And I guess, you know, to me, it was what was important at that part of the movie because it's not a movie just about Apollo 11. It's a movie about the eight years that lead up to it. It's a movie about how we got there, not what we did once there. That once we were there, uh, the 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 emotional climax of the movie to me had to be, and this is purely an aesthetic consideration, not at all a political one, had to be Neil's private moments on the moon. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's also why we don't, you know— uh, we don't uh, get into the experiments they conducted together or, or Buzz's famous words about magnificent desolation or anything like that. We just, we just sort of stick with Neil. And, and I was fascinated by this very unknown part of the moonwalk, uh, which is otherwise the most famous event maybe ever, uh, which was Neil going off to uh, this nearby crater by himself for about 10 minutes. And no one really knows what happened during then, what he did, because he never told anyone about it. He wasn't on comms. Um, and uh, the idea of someone going all the way to the moon, um, you know, which is itself such a lonely journey, you know, and uh, but then taking the time to be truly alone on that surface. Um, I don't know, there was just something, something both poignant and poetic and even tragic about it for me, you know, and especially learning, then learning what he was going through at that time, those eight years of his life. I mean, the unfathomable amount of loss and grief that, that as a human being, he must've been going through in that short period of time. It just, uh, it just begged a lot of questions for me of, of, you know, what is going through your mind um, if you're coming off of that sort of time in your life and you're the first person standing on uh, another celestial body you know looking back at earth almost uh, it almost felt like orpheus traveling from you know from our world to hades you know going beyond where mere mortals are allowed to go going to you know the undiscovered country going to the underworld and turning back and looking back the other way there was something so it's real life and yet so mythological and fairy tale and fantastical that it, it felt like that's where that's where
0: the emotional climax of the movie had to lay it seems like you Can't make a movie these days without some sort of controversy, yeah. That's kind of just what the internet is for at this point. You'd be like, what, how, how can we turn this into something? Well, some
4: way, the good thing is that you know, to take the silver lining approach is that, um, you know, uh, it was actually encouraging to me to sort of find, for example, how much people still have deeply emotional connections or associations with the moon landing, yeah, you know? because I think that was something that we. Sort of struggled with as well while making this movie in terms of things we were worried about. Of how you know, how do you make this is you know fifty years ago almost? How do you make it feel relevant? How do you make it feel timely? Um, and 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 so to find that there still is this sort of visceral emotional connection um, and some you know, conspiracy it, people too. Uh, oh, and, and yeah, I mean they're they're still out there too. <laughs> yeah, we I've I've encountered some of that too. The uh, since the movie came out, the, has anybody uh,
3: shown you new evidence of the conspiracy?
4: Um. So you missed the part in the movie where Kubrick comes over and <laughs> yeah. tells them to adjust? That was my favorite their. part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that you liked that, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, the the um, uh, yeah, I, I I I actually I actually found while we were shooting it, I think we all had a moment where we we were having such a hard time, specifically doing the moonwalk sequence and and the moon landing, and then you know uh, thinking, okay, we're having this hard a time recreating, literally like four minutes of this event. But in 69, they're supposed to have recreated, you know, uh, uh, the better part of uh, several days worth, uh, or on the moon, at least two and a half hours of live stream, uh, basically, you know, live broadcast to everyone in the world, recreation of this with the technology they had in 69. I'm actually of the viewpoint, and and this has been communicated by someone more eloquently than me back in the past, uh, responding to a lot of these conspiracy theorists, Technology-wise, it actually was easier back then for them to send people to the moon than to than to pull off the hoax that. Uh that they're accused of pulling off, so. Yeah, um,
0: I've been between 90% and 100% believe in the moon landing for the last 40 years. Usually 100, but lately I was at 90 because I think I was on the Reddit conspiracy thread. To, I'm back at 100. <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> back at 100. 100. I'm back <laughs> at 100, you me back I was into a little worried it. there
4: for a second, that 10%. Because
0: <laughs> there was always a 10% of me like, we could barely do anything in the 60s. How did we pull this off? How did we send a spaceship to the moon and yet we couldn't have, we didn't have color TV. So that was, it was just a little shred of, hmm. Well, the irony, actually, what's, what's fascinating about, I
4: think, the moon landing, again, is that the, the type of, and it's why I kind of, again, to my point that in a weird way, it was easier to do it than to fake it, is that uh, it's, it's, it doesn't really mean it was easier. What it means is that it's different kinds of technology required for each. The technology required to go to the moon was by, and this is what's shocking about it, looking from today's standards, was really analog it yeah. was really actually old-fashioned what we would definitely call now but that you could even call in the 60s old-fashioned rocket technology i mean uh, the, 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 there was uh, uh you know the most cutting edge and brilliant rocket scientists behind it but essentially what they were harnessing the basic ideas of power that they were harnessing was really old-fashioned was really sort of uh, uh, uh rooted in 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 uh, you know, uh, simple mechanics. And, and by contrast, the technology required to, you know, uh, to broadcast a, a signal yeah. that's faked to everyone around the world, you know, from a signal that can't be, you know, that, that is mistakenly tracked as from the moon, et cetera, et cetera, that, that kind of technology, which maybe could be doable today, that was actually not really around at that time. So. The
0: reality is there's probably like a 62% chance this should have worked. Right. Yeah. Like, well, if you do this five times, maybe two of the times something bad happens.
4: Oh, for sure. I mean, Neil himself gave himself a fifty-fifty of landing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that, that's not to say fifty-fifty of them coming back home alive, but but you know, certainly they were very prepared for the idea that they were going to go to the moon, try to land. It wasn't going to work, and they'd have to turn just around leave. and go yeah. back. Um, whether whether they would have whether Neil would have actually aborted um, uh, or just taken it all the way, you know, no one can know for sure. But the but um, but they were very, yeah. I mean, they, they went into it very hopeful, but I'd say also very kind of realistic
3: about what the odds were. You and, can't and, and, abort and, at that point, and it was that you're way, too was close. So you're right, right, over the moon. You got to keep going at that point. But you point out how unknown everything is. There's that moment when he's describing just the surface of yeah. the moon, you know, the texture of what it is because we just don't know if he he's know gonna anything. like sink in it. Yeah. yeah. How far down is he gonna go? What is like? I never thought like? about that. I didn't know like his foot, like what
4: if
0: it's just his leg just gets sucked down. Oh
4: yeah. No, they were really worried about that, you know, that the lamb itself wouldn't even land properly on that it would just sink in. Yeah. You know, they, they 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 were trying to get as much information about the moon, especially that part of the moon, before you know, through satellite imagery and the earlier missions and whatnot and probes uh, before they landed, but there was still, there's only so much, especially again, with the technology that they had at that time, you know, uh, uh, again, at that time, it was a time where they were probably better at flying than they were at, at, uh, at, um, recording, you know, data, recording information, filming things, you know, uh, streaming things. So, so there was so much unknown about, uh, you know, even down to quarantine. I mean, quarantine was because the Andromeda strain, Michael Crichton's book came out the year before, uh, and became a national sensation and, and prompted lots of people to start going, oh my God, we're sending people to the moon. They're going to bring back a a disease that'll kill all of us. And so Congress tried to calm them down and, and came up with this plan that honestly wouldn't really have worked anyway, if they (laughs) did bring back a deadly disease, which was, you know, we'll put them in quarantine for 21 days.
0: We saw that with the Johnny Depp movie. What was that one? The astronaut's, astronaut's wife. wife. That's right. He yeah. comes back. He's not the same. Something's wrong. Were you prepping with I the mean, astronaut's wife? I mean, as well. <laughs>
4: this is what happens in space, man. You know, <laughs> you don't know what's
0: going to happen. You might get invaded by an careful. evil being. <laughs> um, you're only thirty three, right? Mm. Yeah. And you've made three memorable movies already. This is really annoying. I think when I was thirty three, I was making like four hundred, I don't know, forty know, thousand dollars a year, and trying to break into. How did you do all this fast? So fast. Cause usually directors in their thirties is when it starts to happen, but you've already made stuff happen. Like were you always one of those people that was ahead of the curve or was it luck? What what was it? I mean, a lot of it. I know that's a tough question by the way, but I just like, you're young.
3: Tell us how you're a genius. A lot, a
0: lot. But you're crazy young. Like this doesn't really have a lot of parallels in the history of Hollywood. It's it's, uh, a lot of luck. Um, Um,
4: I think, uh, and this again goes back to Locke, I mean, I think I, I had the benefit of having a very one-track mind growing up. So um, so I, I can't remember ever wanting to do anything different. I've always wanted to do movies right. as long as I can even remember. I think before I knew what a movie director was, I sort of wanted to make the movies I was seeing. Um, initially, they were mostly animated movies, so I thought I'd be an animator. And I was drawing a lot and trying to figure out how animation worked. And then, you know, it became live action movies. So I wanted to do that. But basically, I always wanted to do this and nothing else. And and uh, so it meant I was sort of, when it came to being a normal, well-rounded kid, I maybe was lacking in uh, yeah. in certain other areas, <laughs> uh, uh, and maybe still am. But uh, But at least, yeah, the benefit it gave me was never having that moment of doubt or uncertainty as to what track I want like, I was going to make movies work no matter what. And I didn't, I didn't know if they would work or when they would work, but you know, it was, it was all I wanted to do. It was all I knew how to do. Um, wasn't that what so Paul Thomas Anderson be.
0: told us? Didn't he give us basically the same Very answer? Very similar story. Yeah. It's like from age 16, he was just like, this is what I want to do. I don't want to do anything else.
4: Oh yeah? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I mean, and he was—he started the, really young. Yeah, he so. started young too. Yeah. Yeah. so maybe that's it. There Lessons you know. for the kids out there: if, you, if you're not doing this when you're, be singularly 16. focused. Yeah, <laughs> sixteen. <laughs> don't just have a life. <laughs> <in>.
4: <laughs> don't play sports, and uh, yeah, don't uh, yeah, just just <laughs> just have a one-track
0: mind. To, what the, about the, to the annoyance of everyone else? Quick break to talk about Fanduel. Football season is well underway. I already have major regrets about one of my fantasy teams and all of my daily fantasy performance. But here's the thing. The great thing about daily fantasy, you get another crack at it the next week. That's why I'm so excited to be playing on FanDuel. You get the excitement of researching and building your team each week, regardless of the outcome. It's never been more fun or easy to play. I've been playing in their gridiron pick'em contest every week. It's a free contest. All you need to do is pick winners, no spreads, then 10K split amongst the top pickers. Trust me. I've tried other DFS sites before. If you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel clearly the place to play Plus, new users get a $5 bonus when they make the first deposit. You can do it right now. Come play with me at fanduel.com slash BS. And while we're here, G Suite is a suite of cloud-based productivity tools that includes Gmail, Docs, Slides, Sheets, and Drive. These tool, tools improve your work life, both in terms of your experience and the outputs you create. Hence, their new campaign, Make It With G Suite. You know, when you have 20 identical versions of a document labeled Final and no clue which is the latest, Make another version. Name that one final final, right? Well, with G Suite by Google Cloud, a range of work apps like Gmail, Docs, and Slides let you make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of version after version of a project. And since all the tools are cloud-based, your whole team can access the same document and work on the same page. At the same time, to find out more about G Suite's productivity tools, visit gsuite.com. Make it with G Suite by Google Cloud. Once again, gsuite.com. What about the, like, being in charge of, you know, dozens of people at the same time and the human interactions you have to have with actors, actors are difficult. Like, how do you learn that when you're in your 20s? Like, you're working well, with people like J.K. Simmons, who's been in there for 30 years.
4: Th- th- that's actually the trickiest thing of all, is uh, at least for me, for for for, for a uh, for a natural introvert like me, I think is 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 that aspect of it. I can only say I learned that by doing it. Yeah, and so I think, um, uh, you know, even my student film days of you know of kind of trying to. Rally the troops, in, in, in those small circumstances, that helped prepare me for you know doing the 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 whip short was the first time I remember being terrified my first day on that set. You know uh, uh, that felt like my first real day, even though it's it wasn't the feature. Uh, it, it was literally just this short, but uh, but the short had been had been you know, like enough money had been put together for the short. You know, like ten thousand dollars or something to have for three days, have you know a, a real crew. You know, uh, and and that was my first time not just working with my friends or fellow students with the camera on my own shoulder or something. It was my first time working with the crew. And so winding up on set, J.K. Simmons was in the short, so, uh, you know, which was really nice of him to agree to. Yeah. <laughs> to, to he basically did it as a favor. Um, uh, so giving him direction or trying to, you know, uh, uh, trying to sort of organize the crew, uh, working with the, the assistant director, all that stuff was so new to me. And, yeah, I think the first day I had, like, a mini panic attack, nervous breakdown inside, and I tried to hold it together and kind of made it through the first day. Second day was a lot easier than the first day. Third day was easier than the second day. And, you know, and, 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 and then in a way I would kind of had, had been broken in a little bit. Like, the feature, ironically, as hard as it was, was a little easier than the short just yeah. because I had gotten the feel of it a little bit. Because um, there is and, a moment on a, movie, was, on a movie was set, after. you
0: show up, you're the guy.
4: Yeah, which which I really—it's one thing when you show up with your two buddies and and they're the only ones you're making the movie with, and then it's an actor that you're also friends with, and you yeah, and and you're the guy. That's that's so different than showing up to a bunch of strangers, uh, or you know, or people who are there for you know not because they're doing a friend a favor, but are there for a paycheck or are there for you know, it's just a different atmosphere. Um, and it took me, but it, but I, that's why I guess you know my big advice to people you know has been or would be to try to. Kind of work your way up if you can, you know that there's that there's uh, uh, you know I I I I I think I benefited from learning from mistakes on 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 situations that were controlled enough or small enough that those mistakes weren't uh, disasters. So yeah. Short prepared me for the feature. Whiplash is a feature was low budget enough it prepared me for. La La Land, which was a little bigger budget, still not huge budget, but you know, and it kind of you 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 work your way up from there. So at least that's that's how I kind of learned how to do it. It's the only way I think I've gotten any sort of skill uh, at at that side of it. So now you're so. finally ready
3: to make Terminator Six. Yeah, that's the next. Uh, that's well, I, I think that's the next natural Black but, Panther eight uh, extension. <laughs> but so obviously La La Land and First Man have some things in common, but mostly they're very different. They both seem like pretty significant challenges. They're two Mm -hmm. kinds of movies that are maybe not as big as they once were Mm -hmm. 20 or 50 or 70 years ago. When you're going into a project, are you looking for something that you say, I don't totally know how to do this and I want to try it. It has to be a challenge.
4: Yeah, Yeah. I think and I think even maybe the more movies I do, the more I feel that way, because it's, um, you know, it's. It's hard enough to kind of to 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 make a movie. You know, you 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 invest so much of your sort of uh, you know energy and time, uh, and, and so many other people do too. It's such a collaborative thing. So you're asking a ton of people around you to invest that same amount of time and energy, to invest all of that into something where everyone feels like they've seen it before, or it's just going to be sort of uh, kind of one more notch on the belt, or just you know, or a paycheck or whatnot. It just I just I wouldn't know how to how to do that. I, so I, you're not going to make a rom com when
0: a guy and a girl have been friends for a long time, but now one of them's developing feelings for the other. That's not in the works. Well, look, I mean,
4: you could probably redefine that genre in a way that uh, would be really exciting. <laughs> let's put and, it in uh, space. Let's do and, it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's you know. do it with aliens. <laughs> <laughs> do it with aliens and musical numbers. Serial killers. Yeah, and serial killers, and then I, then I'm all in. <laughs> but I think it's. Uh, but yeah, no, I, th- I think it's just like, like, uh, you know, you never know, or at least I never know, if a movie's going to work out, you know, uh, if it's going to uh, fall on its face or if it's going to have a life. But, but it's all the more reason, I guess, to just make make the act of doing it itself count. You know what I mean? So, so you just you want to give yourself a reason to get up in the morning and work as hard as you can, and, and try to inspire people around you to work as hard as they can. So you at least want to have the ambition. The the you know the the, uh, the hope of doing something that's different or that's a little you know off the beaten path or a little out of the norm uh, doesn't mean you'll succeed but at least it's like at least the it, it helps with the willpower I guess so that's kind of I, I think to answer the question of of kind of whether I I like those challenges I I, I think that's why that's why that's why I like them you know because it's it's uh it's uh you know if you fail, at least you know you tried. <laughs> so, yeah. and, um, uh, and whether you succeed or fail, it's, it's, you learn from it that way too. I guess I, I, I want to, it's such a privilege to be able to make a movie period. So I would hope to kind of just personally learn as much from each movie as possible and pull as much from it as possible just for my own growth as a, as a, as a filmmaker. So. I think
0: that's really good advice. That's, yeah. that's something I've tried to live by the last 10 years or so. Like, you're not, you're never going to know unless you try. Right. Unless you take a risk and you have to be okay with the risk not working sometimes. Yeah. And when it doesn't just- work, it's like, all right, it didn't work. What do I learn from having that not work? Yeah. You take things from that and you put it to the next thing. Absolutely. But I think most people are just afraid to to kind of try. What was interesting about when you did La La Land, that became a much bigger, I, I'm, I'm glad you're here because I've always wanted to ask you it never seemed like that movie was meant to be as big as it became No, from your standpoint. Right. That was like your second film. Yeah, It was this intensely personal film. It was super different. And I I don't, I, all of a sudden it became this, this kind of monster. Yeah. And it was like, did, did, did he mean for that to happen?
4: (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. I think, um, I think La La Land was sort of the epitome of, of, because I was talking this a little bit on First Man, but I'd say La Land more than any project I've done was the epitome of making the movie was the was the victory for us. Yeah, like I remember just getting it done. I remember our, our our the day before shooting began, the day before principal began, we all like went out for like celebration drinks because that was <laughs> like we didn't wait till rap to celebrate because who cares? The fact that we were actually had made it to the day before principal photography where you can you can you can reasonably assure yourself that no one's going to pull the plug. You know, you've made it to 24 hours before. So, you know, maybe a week before the plug can be pulled. But once you're at that day before principle, you're probably okay. And we all just thought it was amazing that, you know, after six years, we had finally kind of gotten to the starting line. And uh, now, you know, yeah, we wanted to execute well. We wanted to, you know, uh, 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 make a good movie and have a good time and, and have it work out. But But just getting the chance, uh, the lucky chance to make it was such a uh, was such a win for all of us that I think uh, everything after was, you know, yeah, I'd say either a surprise or or kind of almost unnecessary icing on the cake. I mean, I mean, it was great. Uh, We certainly enjoyed the ride, but but it wasn't, you know, certainly wasn't why we did it.
3: Were there any downsides to that success? Like, having a couple of years removed from it, does it set some sort of unreasonable bar? Because that movie was a, like really an extraordinary success given what it was and how you made it.
0: it um, and also had I would, a rewatchability to it that I don't know if you anticipated or not, but like my wife watched the movie like five times. Oh, really? Yeah, but I, I think a lot of people did. Yeah, it's I think a part it of became like lives. a go to movie. I was. Um,
4: yeah, again, I mean, all, all that stuff surprised me a lot. I mean, I remember we, we test-screened that movie, and it did not test well. You know, we tested twice, and it tested badly both times. So, like, uh, you know, so even once we were in post-production, you know, there was this big question of, is anyone going to see this? Is anyone going to like it? We knew that we liked it, you know. We, we Or, or well, actually, I mean, actually, you never really know if you like it because you always only see the problems. We knew at least that that it, it was a reflection of our tastes, you know, um, and, uh, but... Um, you know, in terms of going after from it, I mean, I, the good thing was that I was already working on First Man. If I had not had anything kind of in the pipeline, so to speak, and like, you know, sort so kind of the La release ends, and then I'm left sort of standing with kind of an empty slate and trying to figure out what to do next, then, yeah, I do kind of shudder at that, at the prospect of what that would have been like. I'm not sure how I would have acted. I think the best thing I did for myself was to make sure I had something already going, already in the pipeline before La La Land even came out. Um, So as soon as La La Land was done, even while we were kind of doing the promotion and stuff, I was spending the other half of my time working on First Man and working uh, with the writer on the script and working with Ryan on, on, on research and all that stuff. So that kind of helped funnel me and not be, um, maybe not have so many of the negative consequences you know, as you say can happen of 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 what La, La Land became.
0: Well then you ended up in the craziest moment in the history of the Oscars. But you're deep in you're deep in first man at that point. You're just th- yeah, able th- to transfer it? Thankfully I
4: was. Yeah. I was I was um uh we were, you know, we hadn't started hard prep yet, but we had started crewing up and and, you know, uh, uh the script was, you know, being fine-tuned. We'd started kind of traveling to meet members of the family and whatnot. So, yeah, so that was all kind of, that train had sort of left the station a little bit. Um,
3: no one last minute tried to convince you to make another musical.
4: Uh, no, it's happening right now, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's getting, he's getting emails. <laughs> we did, uh, you know, we did joke that we would put uh musical numbers into, into first man, but you uh, kind of do, but you it never, there's musical moments. There, there, there is a dance. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did think of that as yeah, that was going to be the closest we got, <laughs> the closest that we doffed our hat to uh, to that genre. Um, but uh, but no, ironically, Neil Armstrong himself was was really into musicals. I mean, there's there's like a there's you know, you'll remember there's a scene in the movie where they're kind of uh, asking Neil about his you know what he did in college and learning that he did the musical review in college and all that. And I I always wonder if like if you know certain people watching it think that. That's just something that I sort of invented in order to be like an Easter egg to myself or something. I kind, <laughs> right. of, like, I'm kind, of, I kind of cringe at the idea of that, whereas the reality is no, you know, Neil himself, that's all, that's all true to Neil. Neil was, uh, you know, I promise that wasn't my, <laughs> my intervention. Neil was very much a, uh, you know, a musicals fan, a Gilbert and Sullivan fan, as it turns out. And, uh, and yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe if certain things had gone differently, he might have, uh, you know,
0: might have been the new... Gene Kelly, new Sondheim, new <laughs> Gene Kelly, yeah. Who knows? Do you feel like after what's it been? How long's it been since the Oscars? Like a year and a half? That people don't even remember what happened anymore. They just remember something crazy happened. That they don't remember if you ended up winning or losing, or <laughs> uh, also the, like because like, you, you won. won for best director. You also
3: won, so it's it must have been doubly strange.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's a very. I mean, because that was my second time at the Oscars, and both times they've been very. Uh, and maybe it's because I grew up kind of, you know, watching the Oscars on TV. So I sort of experienced the Oscars so many years as the thing that was seen on the TV box. So then yeah. actually being there, it was a weird kind of, you know, felt like that, it felt like, uh, you know, like Pe- Pleasantville or Purple Rose of Cairo or one of those movies where you sort of step through the proscenium. And, and, yeah. and you're just kind of looking around and it was weirdly like surreal meets Anticlimactic meets overwhelming, meets underwhelming. Like it's all these things at once. I felt that both times I was there. So, so it's 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 kind of in a way when weird stuff happens, uh, as did happen, you know, th- that night. It's 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 almost weirdly in keeping with the surrealness. Like I think it was maybe <laughs> less of an utter kind of uh, uh, you know needle scratch shock for me um, than than it was just sort of uh, yeah an outgrowth of. I mean, the Oscars themselves are very weird, and it helps to kind of be reminded of that sometimes. Yeah. That's what
0: Kimmel said when yeah. I did the pod with him like three days later. Oh, yeah? we've been friends for a long time. And it he didn't even really fully know how... I was like, this isn't like, going to be in the first paragraph of when like you retire. And they'll be like, and he hosted the famous Oscars. <laughs> and he's like, really? It's going to still... People will still care? And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be like the number one weirdest thing that happened at the Oscars.
4: I am surprised that people still... Ask, but, but, you know, m- maybe it just needs to be one-upped. Maybe we just need to figure out some <laughs> we even weirder that. Let's thing. do it this year. Yeah. Yeah. I know it can be done.
3: <laughs> you need to wear a space suit if, to the Oscar. If Oscars they stuff.
4: can land a man on the moon, they can, <laughs> they can find a weirder way to dead. end the Oscar.
0: How much thought do you put into the big picture part of your career? Because I've always found some directors, like, they just on to the next project, almost like Bill Belichick. And then other people, <laughs> like, really study the great directors of all time and the choices they made mm. and then they did this and then they zig this way. And do you think about that stuff? Which one are you?
4: I I do. I mean, I, yeah, I'd be lying if I, if I said I didn't, I think, um, again, part of my movie obsessed childhood and adolescence and whatnot was reading, you know, biographies of directors and, and watching all their, you know, their entire filmographies and trying to learn where things went right, where things went wrong. Um, um, but of course, I, I don't know. But then, but then at the same time, it's it's uh, when it comes to actually deciding what what am I personally going to do next, it's it, it it does at the end of the day, just for me at least, boil down to just a gut level of what 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 I'm feeling at that particular moment. Yeah, it's, it's part of why I actually I've had a hard time. I've been asked a lot with this movie, you know, what, you know, what what made you want to do this, especially, you know, you're you're the musical musicals guy or or you know, movies about music guy and why, you know, why take this left turn, why why do a space race movie um and you know, I, I've said various answers, and but none of them probably really get at the real answer. The real answer is I I don't really know. You know, I just uh, for whatever reason at that moment in my life uh, it grabbed me. Something yeah. in Jim Hanson's book, something in the idea, just grabbed me, and 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 it was a new kind of affection I had for this material because I didn't grow up being obsessed with the space race or 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 anything like that. I didn't really grow up wanting to be an astronaut. Um, but it grabbed me, and I sort of went with it. And and so so as much as I try to think about the bigger picture. Um, Sometimes you can't, it, it only gets you so far, I guess. So you just go to what grabs you. Yeah, I mean.
3: But do you have a checklist that that's like, you, I need to make my war film, it. I need to make my biblical epic, I need <laughs> to, you know.
0: Yeah, you got to make your war film.
4: <laughs> my, my my war film. Uh, no, I, I, um not really. I will say that, um, again, I, but I think this this comes back down to gut level, that I usually tend to want to do something that feels at least tonally like the opposite of what I just did. And that's, that's not at all kind of an intellectual reasoning. That's purely just emotional where, you know, so, so with Whiplash, I, 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 it felt right after Whiplash to do something kind of uh, a much more hopeful and romantic and sort of in love with, with love and with movies like La La Land. And then again, you know, conversely after La La Land, um, I think in some ways the, the confection aspect of La La Land helped inspire the opposite in First Man, going back to the sort of documentary route and trying to go gritty and grungy. So I think, um, so, you know, it, it's as simple as you get a little tired of of one kind of tone or one sort of mood and you want to switch it up.
0: Um, so Fast and Furious you have that. your eye on, maybe. <laughs> fast, fast 11?
4: Yeah, but that would maybe have to be... Like one five movie, years. From one now. movie removed from yeah. first. Yeah, because right. First Man has its kind of action True. sequences. I can't do that again, you know, so I've got Maybe like five years from so now. Maybe, yeah. But, but yeah, check back in
0: five years. Sean, do you think Whiplash was a sports movie?
3: Yeah, we discussed this. Yeah. We, I mean, we had
0: a big argument about this like two, three years ago. I, know, and I, really. I can't remember what we decided. Well, it has all the elements of a sports movie. It's just instead of sports, it's drumming. Yeah. But it's the same beats and. Totally. No, I mean, I. I
3: and it has the I same kind of feeling it of it like way. ultimately it's about self-competition it's not about the competition surrounding you yes it's it's about whether you can do it yourself there's something amazing about that i love that movie how do you feel about that movie now have so many years removed from it um hmm. do you can can you see it and say this is good or do you only see the flaws um i haven't i haven't
4: uh i haven't looked at it in a while i mean
0: uh he's like denzel he doesn't go backwards Mm. that's what denzel said he doesn't I did a podcast I, with me. He doesn't go backwards. I wish
4: I had more than that in common with Denzel. <laughs> um, so he never looks at, at old work. He just not sort of, interested. It's, it's, it, it, Ethan Hawke was the opposite. He was helpful. so
0: ready to go back and oh, yeah? relitigate every choice he's ever made. And Denzel was like, I don't go backwards.
4: Yeah. I guess I could see both sides. I mean, I I, I have at times gone back. I try, but I, I kind of don't like to do it too much. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, Whiplash was... Um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was uh it was it was fun making it. You know, it it, it was it was uh I'd say it's still, you know, the most kind of nakedly autobiographical thing I've done. Um not that it's strictly autobiographical, but just sort of in terms of where it came from and and what I was thinking as I was writing it, you know. So, so I th- and I think there was something kind of liberating about that and and one thing I actually haven't done in a while is write I'm sort of excited right now to sort of sit down and write again. That's kind of something I've been wanting to do in a while because you know I wrote Whiplash after I'd written La La Land and First Man, uh, Josh Singer, wrote. Um, and so, uh, so it's actually been since basically the making of Whiplash that I've kind of um, written something. So What's your process? I might wind up revisiting it just for that reason.
0: Go to like Starbucks in West Hollywood and just bring the laptop and you're just uh, off for six hours? Where do you write? What's, what do you do?
4: Uh, well, my process is, begins with uh, a huge uh, amount of procrastination, <laughs> um, which I which I try to kind of I try to group under the the, the umbrella heading like you know research or inspiration. You know, yeah. read a lot, watch a lot, listen to a lot of music. Try to kind of figure out a playlist of both movies and songs to sort of get myself in the mindset. But then, yeah, eventually I'll just sort of. Uh, I mean, sometimes I write. By hand, but usually, yeah, it's just on my laptop. By hand? Whether at home or at a coffee shop.
0: Like in a journal? Yeah,
4: sometimes. Interesting.
0: I didn't know your generation still did that. Notice how I'm making it seem like you're super young.
4: Well, sometimes- Under
0: 35ers, they don't really use the pen and pencils. The
4: the thing with the pen and pencil is that um, I guess what I'm always trying to do with writing is avoid- the terror of the big blank page staring at you.
0: And the so, blank word doc or the blank final draft. Yeah,
4: exactly. Something about the blank final draft or blank word doc is sometimes more intimidating than just the blank loose scrap of paper you happen to have or a notebook. It's also why sometimes, I've. Lo- this is actually a trick that I would recommend to some people, sometimes I'll write chunks of a script as an email draft to myself because it's a very kind of small little you know window browser. If you don't open it up big, and you're just sort of so you can after a few <laughs> lines think you've written a lot because you're kind of filling your your I like you that know, and then you sort of keep going and it's all about getting started. Once you're in it, you know, once you have 50 pages of a script, the next 50 are much easier. But getting past the the blank page is a is a and I, I'm probably like all writers in this regard is terrifying.
0: Do you base the character on pieces of different people you know, or is it just somebody you create yeah. from thin air?
4: No, yeah, it depends. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, certainly Whiplash. People were based uh, oftentimes word for word on on people I you know people I knew. Other times it's uh, kind of you know uh, composites. You know, some people I know, some movie or book characters, some you know just kind of uh, all meshed in. A lot of times, obviously, there's a lot of me <laughs> and, yeah uh, whether I like it or not. In uh, in certain characters I write, certainly the Miles Teller character in Whiplash. Um, You know, it was in some ways a somewhat easy character to write um, because I related. Um, And, uh, you know, so it's, yeah, it's a mix, I guess. But but it always helps, I think, to have something to be, even sometimes it could be as simple as writing for an actor, I find. Whether you wind up casting that actor or not, by the way, but just having a face in, in mind. Like sometimes I find it helpful very early in the script writing process to just like put a little lookbook together that's just like faces. And it's either faces of, you know, whether it's known actors or, or you know, people out of fiction or historical figures or whatnot, you know, you just kind of, just to visualize a little bit of a gallery of faces, so you kind of are writing to, you're not just writing to a, to a, to a character name, you know, on a final draft doc, you're writing to an actual flesh and blood human being, and then that can change completely, you know. Yeah. Um, when I first wrote J.K. Simmons' character in Whiplash, I was picturing a, a sort of basically someone I'd say James Gandolfini would have played, like a New Jersey yeah. Italian-American um, you know, uh, uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, kind of blue-collar turned intellectual sort of guy um, because that was very similar to a music conductor I'd had growing up. And that's, that's who I was writing. That's who he was. So J.K. initially, first, you know, working with him, meeting him was the polar opposite of physically what I had in mind, his kind of, you know, the, the, the thin, tall, muscular, bald – you know, black shirt, like that whole kind of look that J.K. brings to the movie was so different from what I wrote in my mind. But... He's saying the same words, you know, and, and, and of course now I look, I think back to, I, c- I can't think of anyone else in the role than, than JK. He made it completely his own, but it's just a good example in a way that it doesn't really matter where you wind up. It just helps me to get started out of the starting gate to have something physical, something visual to write to.
0: Well, that's why Fast and Furious 11 is going to be great for you. The, well, they I already the, had the characters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just exactly. Start, just start writing. Can I th- you give I us,
4: think, <laughs> can you give us like a sneak peek are totally right. the, uh. Of fast and furious 11. Yes, please.
3: So <laughs> it us begins, begins, it's on space. Begin. Yeah. <laughs>
4: interior room, night. Yeah.
3: If you could <laughs> re- The door opens. Yeah. <laughs> Can you give us a sneak peek of the um maybe the playlist of movies or music that you're diving into right now for whatever you're going to do? Oh next? yeah. <laughs> um yeah,
4: I'm I'm I've been rewatching a lot of uh right now I'm on a big early Truffaut kick. Oh, wow. Um Uh It's been a while since I've watched like Jules and Jim and Shoot the Piano Player. Those movies are so great, by the way. I mean, they're so, they are so much more just radical and revolutionary than I had remembered. Um, And I grew up, you know, I I, I loved Truffaut. One of the earliest books I read, uh, you know, once I could understand it uh, as a kind of budding film geek was the Truffaut Hitchcock book of, sort of transcription of their interviews together most formative film book I've probably ever read. Reread it like 10 times. And, um, um, but anyway, uh, Truffaut's amazing. I've been rewatching a lot of, a lot of his stuff, rewatching, uh, Fellini, um, rewatching, uh, recently rewatched Mean Streets, which is another kind of, again, movie I,
3: you know, always thought was awesome, but man, it's even more awesome than I remembered, um, so you're going to be making a gangster movie about a filmmaker who has many women in his life.
0: Yeah.
4: I'm wow. in. How'd you know? Great. But, but, no, that's like exciting. And,
3: and they race cars
4: by night <laughs> and it's Fast and Furious 11. It's all <laughs> <laughs> ties together. I'm, I'm going to do the Truffaut Fellini version of Fast and Furious. I can't wait. That sounds amazing. Just wait for it. I'm in opening
0: night. <laughs> Goodfellas is, I'm still a cable guy. Like I still like scrolling through the channels. Yeah. Goodfellas is on all the time. Well, and I've just it's been the watching a constantly. rewatchable movie ever made. I mean, Thank you very much. Uh, can exactly right. We have to do the re, we do a rewatchables podcast where we we just break down movies we've seen a million times. Oh, cool! I'm, I'm officially ready for Goodfellas.
3: Okay, this is big news. Just so it's, you know, we've been trying to convince. Me I've to been uh, I'm, right now.
0: I'm halfway through a rewatch of
4: Casino. Have you seen that recently? Yeah, that holds up really too. good. Sharon Stone. Oh, amazing.
0: She's incredible. Huh? Part of the appeal of Sharon Stone in that movie was we didn't know that she had that performance she, in her. Exactly. But now we can know cuz we've seen Casino for 22 years. But yeah. no, but But like, in if, the moment I was like, "Wow, really?" Yeah, you
4: do have to rewind a little bit to sort of the 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 the, the shock of her performance in that. But also she's just uh, she is in a way because you'd seen, you know, because so much of the rest of the, the sort of leads cast, you know, are people you've seen in Goodfellas and earlier Scorsese movies. She is this kind of she's the new element in that movie and just It's amazing to watch her wreak havoc with those characters, but also kind of with the movie itself. Like she steals the show in every every sense of the term. It's such an amazing performance to watch.
0: What movie have you seen the most times? Um,
4: I don't know. Maybe maybe well maybe the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. I mean, that's probably still my my biggest go to. Um, Certainly, La La Land wouldn't have been possible without it. Um, I have to kind of rewatch that relatively regularly. Just to get my my regular dose of it. Um, um Were you expecting that
3: answer, Sean? I remember you talking about it before La La Land. And yeah. they're, they're, obviously there's there's huge aspects of it in La La Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um And you didn't you didn't re- spend too much time focusing on the space movies before First Man.
4: No, actually, you know, what's funny about the space movies is that it's you know, it, i I felt like And this was different than when I was doing La La Land, because with La La Land, yeah, I spent most of my time before La La Land watching musicals. With with this movie, I tried to actively not watch space movies. Um, And I, I, I think it was, I think, again, maybe because I was less interested in homage with this movie and more about trying to Trying to kind of make a space movie as though as – though, almost trying to deny that the earlier space movies had existed, you know, which, which can be hard because a lot of them are really damn good. Um, yeah. But, uh, but trying to sort of almost blindly go down my own path, and I wanted that path to be more dictated by documentaries – Um, so definitely I was watching a ton of archival space footage, like movies like For All Mankind, if you've ever, if you've ever seen, um, amazing documentary entirely comprised of archival footage from the era, from the Apollo missions that I watched and screened for the cast and crew. Um, I watched that several times, um, leading up to shooting. Um, but then also I'd say just a lot of documentaries of the period that had nothing to do with space. I'd watch stuff like Gimme Shelter by the Maisels or or salesmen by the Maisels or, or Frederick Weissman documentaries or D.A. Pennebaker documentaries, just kind of verite direct cinema documentaries from that period, um, you know, that just uh, in many ways were as far from the space program as you could get, but gave me at least a sense of how we could shoot this and how we could capture the flavor of the time. Um, so me, yeah, that was, that was our
3: amazing. screening series. Incredible. Yeah which that's one what, which, give me shelter's way oh, up there so for me. great the scene
0: of jagger rewatching the clip with that like blank look on, and his to face. remember
4: that that you know that's again that's the same year same season as yeah. the moon landing I mean, oh that yeah is, that's summer 60 is it summer 69 altamont i mean i know it's 69 I oh that so. was 69 it's, yeah it's, it's it's just incredible
0: you know when you think of that movie as a snapshot of its time what what do gosling's next 10 years look like you're pretty close to him now what what, I, what do you see him doing
4: I'm, you know, uh, he, uh, I really have no idea.
0: Um, cause uh, it seems like he just loves what, to do something we don't expect him to do well, that, with I, the next president. That's
4: all I can promise, in a way, is that, uh, cause I haven't gotten a chance to really talk to him in any more depth than that about it. But I can assure you, whatever he does next will be, will will not be what you or I am expecting him right. to do next. I think it's part of what I love about him as as an actor and as a filmmaker. And, um, uh, you know, I think he he did do a lot of movies back to back before First Man, and then sort of immersed himself in First Man and and wanted to kind of see that through to to the finish. You know, he he wasn't just sort of a presence on set in First Man. He was very obviously during prep, there was a ton of research and involvement he was doing. But then even you know, I'd have him come by the cutting room when we were when we were editing and just sort of trying to. Uh, I, I just love pinging ideas back and forth off him. He's always he's just a great collaborator from beginning to end in that sense. Um, and uh, so I think he was just you know, totally in that world until, until we finished the movie, which, again, was relatively recently. So, so I think he himself is probably trying to figure out right now what, what is next.
0: What's your best Ryan Gosling story?
4: My best Ryan Gosling story? Well, well he claims that... Uh, so we first met um, a, to talk about this movie before, before, before La La Land. Um, I wanted to meet him and pitch him Basically, Neil Armstrong. See if he'd be interested in playing Neil Armstrong, and and so this would have been back in two thousand fifteen, maybe. Um, and so we met up at uh, at this restaurant, and and I I got there and didn't see him at first, and then and then he I guess came from behind and tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around. Now he claims that I turned around in such a way that. Made it seem on my face like I wanted to kill him, like I was turning around <laughs> and go, who the f just tapped me on the shoulder yeah now i i I argue with this claim a little bit because i I think i'm a very you know uh, mild mannered sweet tempered person, but he I guess saw like a, a you know the rage of a of a like a bull seen red in my face <laughs> and and then then I saw it was him, and again, according to Ryan, that dissolved and everything but um but I think when when people ask him like so yeah and what made you you know want to you know kind of take a chance on Damien and everything you know and sort of kind of band up together uh you know whether it was Lawland Land or first man uh, at least i've heard him sometimes refer to to that moment of you know oh well we're either going to as he describes it we we're either going to fight right now physically or we're going to we're going to make some movies together it's going to be one or the other i think he uh I think he That's a great fighting story. Spirit.
0: He saw some edginess in you that he was attracted to. He was like, "This is a guy I want to make, go to war with." Yeah, and I make never, I never wanted to
4: break it to him that it was a completely <laughs> faux impression, <laughs> that this was a, a fleeting and false uh, veneer. But, uh, but hey, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> so you don't know what's next. I don't, but uh, but I'm I'm sort of you know just getting out of the first man Looking world. Look at that blank final draft out. doc. I'm trying to avoid that. This yeah. is
0: why he tries. He's been. I, I haven't written a lot this year, and, and he's always like, "When are you going to write something?" And It's like I don't want to stare at that blank doc anymore. So you
3: got to take the Damien method of bringing a journal to a Maybe coffee the, shop.
0: like a playlist that's, journal. Or 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 maybe awesome I got to bring the pen and paper or, or back, or do it as an email. The blank doc is just after so many years of it. I, yeah, I just I get psyched out by it.
4: Yeah. No, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I thought you know, that writing would get easier. You know, as as I did it more doesn't. and more, it got harder.
0: You know you can fill it up. It's just the process of going through having to fill it up. Oh yeah, becomes less fun like each time. Yeah, 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 yeah.
4: yeah. And you sense it when you're filling it with crap. You know, oh, it's no, like that's terrible. The you, delete you, button you, yeah. is the or the worst though is actually sensing that you're filling it with genius and then reading it back the next day yeah. uh-huh. and realizing it's crap. <laughs> it's like what
3: was this? that's <laughs> even worse. Those are very evocative feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is. I yeah. see you, and you're actually good. You know, I and mean, you're.
4: Uh, that hurts. Yeah, we we all. We all feel that pain.
0: First man. Good luck with it. I thought it was excellent. I can't wait to see it in the theater instead of my iPad.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much to Damien Chazelle. Thanks to Van Lathan. Thanks to the one and only Joe House. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ziprecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to FanDuel. You get the excitement of researching and building your team each week, regardless of the outcome at FanDuel. Tons of ways to play, like the Gridiron Pick'em contest. Just pick winners, no spreads. Ten K splits amongst the top pickers. I've tried other DF sites, S sites, and if you're not a fantasy expert, FanDuel is clearly the place to play. New users get a five dollar bonus when they make the first deposit. Come play with me at FanDuel.com/slash-bs. Don't forget to check out all of our great Preview Palooza contest uh, con- content. I am fried. We've been doing content now for like 14 hours. Uh, I could barely speak, but we have some good stuff up there. Check it out on all the Ringer platforms. Thanks to all the Ringer team. Awesome day today. I'm proud of everybody. And uh, we'll be back later this week on the BS Podcast. Until then.